Recorded live. For those of you who haven't been with us since, well, I guess this is our second show of the new year of 2015. Uh, as I uh, just want to make a very brief mention, since the last time we were together, I lost someone that I did not know well but felt like I did, and Stuart Scott, and he's been eulogized and lionized and remembered, and deservedly so. I met him once at the NFL draft about 10 years ago. We talked about North Carolina. He went to University of North Carolina. I lived in Chapel where my father was a student for a while. And, you know, we talked about uh, Franklin, you know, which is sort of the main street there and the old uh, Carmichael Auditorium and just, you know, things, Carolina. And we talked some other stuff, too. And the funny thing is, uh, super charismatic, obviously, but also super confident. He was very much like a professional athlete, but he was not. Uh, but if you talk to him, and of course some people say you, you know, thought he was a much better athlete than he really was, but he, um, you know, I guess he's two years older than I am, so this would have been, I would have been about 37, he would have been about 39, but he expressed extreme confidence that if he got, you know, in a slightly better shape, he could run a 4-6-40, no problem. So that was the kind of confidence that Stewart had himself as an athlete. And he was a, obviously an amazing guy. So um, my prayers and thoughts obviously go out to Taylor and Sydney and beautiful daughters, all those who knew him and loved him. And uh, we won't see his like again, but hopefully there will be a Stuart Scott Foundation founded by, I don't know, ESTN, Step Up, somebody. And uh, they'll help to give other young journalists, possibly from underprivileged backgrounds, a chance to, to do great things as Stuart Scott did. And I see I've been joined by um, our cast of semi-regulars and at least one super-regular. I see that gentleman James Coburn is with me. I see I've been joined, I believe, by the one, the only, Mr. Pete Smith. Indeed. Indeed. And we have a very special guest, David West. Um, before we move on from this, David, tell us a little bit about those who don't know you, a little bit about yourself. Hello, my name is David West. Uh, I graduated from Lander University about two years ago, worked full-time out of college. Um, I've always been passionate about the draft for about four or five years now, and this year I've taken a huge approach of trying to mentor and help um, prospects that are not for say or getting looked at, try to get them into some all-star games, hooked up with some agents, and just, you know, try to get them their name out there because I think it's important. Even the Guys that go first overall all the way to you know, undrafted and camp invites, they all should get some credit. I mean, they spent four years putting their bodies on the line in the trenches. I think they all should deserve to get a shot. And also work with the Miami Dolphins draft experts. With a friend of mine that's been open for three years, we just hit 1,500 likes about maybe a month ago. So we've been doing Dolphins-related content for three years now. But I've kind of brought in my horizon with a whole bunch of different things. But it's always great, you know, getting different insight, you know, using networks, and I think it's great what everyone does to try to make everyone's dreams come true. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you. Um, one of the things that excites me about this is that this is – we're talking about, you know, the elites. We're talking – the NFL is one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. You know, there's over a million young people, you know, that participate in high school athletics each year. And 
if my math is roughly correct, over 300,000 of those get, you know, start a, a high school football game in about a year. So that's over 300,000 young people participating, starting, not just participating, but actually, you know, taking the field and starting a, a high school football game. And of those, over 300,000, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6% play college football, I believe the math is on that's about right. So, you know, 18,000 and change or something like that out of the original 300-plus thousand, and then of that number, less than, you know, what is it, uh, 1,696 will make an NFL roster. That's assuming that you wiped out everybody who was on the roster when they got there. That's not going to happen. So only a handful of those 1,696,000 become available each year. The people who actually make it in the Yeah. The people who actually make it in the And even a smaller, you know, percentage, I know you haven't got there, but even a smaller percentage even make it through the first year of the contract. Right. So it's you're passing through these ever finer filters. You know, to to even make a fifty three person roster, forget play, you know, it's not making the roster. It's an amazing crucible that you're expected to survive. So one of the things that Pete does, he works with young athletes, he works at the high school level with uh, wide receivers a lot and, and other positions as well, but his he's sort of our wide receiver expert. And Jim Coburn, gentleman James, is our metrics guy, and he's terrific at helping us with things to understand trends and analysis regarding things that include physical measurables, market share, uh, statistical analysis, and just essentially identify some of the things that NFL teams do to identify talent. Because, you know, I'm obviously old school. You know, I've been around this thing for 30-some-odd years. And, you know, as a teenager, I first began to get interested and start writing away to teams and writing away to colleges. And I knew even then, even as a 15, 16-year-old, I knew, I looked at myself, I wasn't in any, I was 33 pounds soaking wet. And, you know, around in those days, in a good, on a good day, I was by a 4-8-something, and I knew, okay, this is probably not, I'm not going to make a living playing football. That was my dream. You know, I told anyone who would listen when I was 5 and 6 that I was an excellent swan. And, you know, that didn't plan, might pan out. But I knew that there was something that made us different. And for me, I mentioned uh, in my little Stuart Scott story about living in North Carolina for a while, the first time I realized that there's a difference, like there's differences between these athletes and that athlete. As a six-year-old, I, in fact, even before I turned six, when I was five, going into turning six and, and when I was six, I played my first year what's called bitty ball with um, um, a guy named Bernie League was our coach. And I had a teammate named Clarkson Hines. Clarkson Hines, by the time he finished playing college football, owned every receiving record at Duke and most of the receiving records in the ACC and a couple of them. Well, he was close to a couple of national records. And now, you know, the game has changed and most of his records have been wiped out except a couple he still holds at Duke. But he recently was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. So hats off to you, Clarkson. Um, had a cup of coffee with the uh, Browns, actually. Um, but unfortunately, he tore his knee up while he was at Duke and had lost a lot of speed and, and was a bright guy with a Duke degree and now is running, I think, a medical supplies company, if I remember it correctly. But I noticed how much different he was. Even as a five- and six-year-old, when I was playing with him, 
I was a defensive end on this side, I was a defensive end on that side, and every play would run towards me and away from him, and he would still run down away from the back side, and he led the team in, you know, name, whatever, name everything. He was the best athlete in the league, and it wasn't even close. And I so I began to notice, wow, you know, look how much ground he can cover. Look how strong he is. Um, wow. And so I began, even as a child, I began to realize, okay, look how different this kid is from me. And we're the same age. Um, there's freaks. That's the term that we throw around. You know, this, you know, J.J. Watt and all these guys. But it's, being a freak isn't enough. There are lots of guys with freakish ability. I mean, we're going to talk at some point probably about Mr. Doyle Green Beckham. If there are things that prevent your freakishness from ever being utilized, how much does it matter if you are a freak? So we're going to talk a little bit about the, the upcoming All-Star Games, the recent uh, declarations of underclassmen, and, of course, that's an ongoing story, and draft scenarios. Obviously, not all the draft uh, slots have been filled about where teams will be when it's all said and done, but we have a pretty good idea of where most of the teams will be drafting and what their needs are. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. So uh, I'll start with you, David. You said that a lot of the content you do is is Dolphins-centric. Uh, what are people around the Miami Dolphins talking about in terms of what the Dolphins are looking for in the upcoming draft? Well, personally, the fan base is definitely upset. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're outside rioting. You know, it's Miami Dolphins fans. You know, I hate to be one of them, but, you know, sometimes they just make me sick. But with that being said, you know, there's a big buzz about us going after another offensive lineman. Ryan Tannehill was on his back quite a bit this year. You know, losing Brandon Albert hurt, and, you know, we didn't have a stable offensive guard rotation. So it's possible we might be going after a guy that can play tackle and guard, you know, somebody that can play tackle until Brandon Albert's healthy. And going back, somebody like Collins from LSU, he would be a great pick. There's also buzz if we get rid of Brian Hartline or Mike Wallace, um, there's a possibility we might target a bigger receiver, somebody like Devontae Parker, Jalen Strong. Uh, those guys are ones that you know Miami could use a big red zone threat, especially with the pending free agency of Charles Clay. With that being said, there might be an also possibility that Max Williams might be on their radar. Uh, Charles Clay's been a physical tight end, um, very versatile over the years, and Max Williams is raw, but he has freakish ability. I mean, I, he's very lean. Someone compared him yesterday to Scott Chandler, which, you know, I think is a pretty fair comparison. Um, though I think Williams has more upside than Scott Chandler. There's also been buzz that Miami is looking at a linebacker. Now, personally, I've been – I don't know if you've seen this on NFL.com that they said have a profile thing called Scouting the Scouts. Right. Which is a great little article that shows you where the scouts have been. Personally, I did a tally up, and Miami is looking at a UCLA player. Now, I'm not sure which UCLA player they're targeting. They might be going after a linebacker there. They might be going after Huntley in the second or third round. I'm not too sure, but they've made more visits in the last few months to UCLA than any other college. So they might be looking well, there's at a lot of, There's a lot of stuff at UCLA, actually, to, to cast your eyes upon. They've got some oh. really good defensive line talent. They've got... Well, they, um, they've got, yeah. you know, they've got a great defensive end. They've got two stud linebackers. 
They've got Malcolm Bunch, who's a transfer from Miami. He's a guard tackle slash. You know, that would be a great upgrade, or not an upgrade for, say, and a replacement for the, um, our ailing O-line who needs, you know, a rotational guy, somebody that's, you know, going to be able to step up where they need to. And also the secondary might need to be addressed again. You know, Louis Delmas played a very good season until he got hurt. I mean, he got hurt near the end of the season. But are you going to take another chance on an injury-prone Louis Delmas who is, has all the talent in the world, but he can't stay healthy for a whole season? You know, he had Pro Bowl potential back when he was with the Lions. And then he comes to Miami and actually had a fairly good productive season until he got hurt. But now, you know, you have to think about, do we help the offensive line? Uh, my buddy and I that run the page have also talked about we need to upgrade receivers because we believe that, you know, it might be a possibility that Miami might have three receivers coming into the season. Not Mike Wallace, not Hartline or Gibson. They might go with Jarvis Landry, who was an absolute stud this year. Uh, you have another possibility with Matt Hazel, who was their sixth-round pick last year, who saw yeah. no action, but you know, uh, Matt Hazel's from Coastal, pretty close to me. And, you know, they just signed a kid from Hastings College the other day. So, you know, they've got a few guys to, you know, plug in. I think they have one or two more in the practice squad. But it's a possibility they really hit wide receiver hard this year. But personally, I feel like Miami needs to upgrade the O-line, then work on the linebackers, and then, you know, maybe look at a receiver. Because the receiver class – doesn't have wow talent other than Amari Cooper, Devontae Parker, and, you know, you can throw a few others up there. But there's great guys like Justin Hardy from East, um, ECU. Uh, he's been talked about a lot recently. If you want another deep threat, Philip Dorsett, he's um, the top-grossing deep threat receiver in the NCAA, you know, with more than five catches. You know, you have guys – such as, you know, Von Pearson, you know, I was talking about him on Twitter earlier. You know, people yep. say he's raw, but he's got all the talent in the world. 6'3", 189, put on some weight in the NFL weight room. He He's very good. And, you know, if you want to take a stab at Doran Beckham or Green Beckham, you know, he's a freak. But, you know, he's baggage. And I don't think Philbin or Hickey likes you know, guys with that, you know, last year they made an effort to find guys that are captains, guys that are great in the locker room. Well, you know, I think they'll continue that trend this year because there's still issues in the locker room. You know, Mike Wallace hasn't been – has been a diva. I hate to say it. You know, some of the linebackers have been disgruntled. Uh, you know, there's guys out there. There's a difference between passionate and, you know, saying, no, I think our scheme's messed up. I need to see the ball for <laughs> So, you know, yeah. I feel those are some needs Miami is looking at. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little we, we talked about Keyshawn a little bit off air. I mean, it's not quite to the Keyshawn level, but every wide receiver ever born wants to see the ball more. Um, I'm going to bring Keith Smith in since you're talking about receivers and the need perhaps to upgrade the position at Miami. So, Pete, one, what would you diagnose, you know, doctor, wide receiver? for what they could use to fix their problem at, in Miami, and why have they not gotten more pop out of that position in the past, do you believe? Well, Mike Wallace is a bum, for starters. I mean, that, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't fight for the football. I mean, that's, that's been a huge problem for them. He'll quit on routes. He, I mean, he's trick-or-treat in terms of effort. He just doesn't do what 
I don't know if it's people aren't calling him out the way they did in Pittsburgh or the money or whatever, but either he was overrated in Pittsburgh or he uh, and was never worth the money, which is most likely true. Uh, but but he's never he's not a true number one. They're they're not going to get that that bank for that buck in any form. I don't know if if they were even able to renegotiate the contract down that he'd be worth it there. I I don't think he's ever going to be. Uh, a, a great player. Brian Hartline's fine for what you expect Brian Hartline to do. Jarvis Landry's a nice uh, sort of slot guy who can block and help the running game, but uh, they need outside threats. That's, I mean, that's a big question, but, you know, is it is it a straight deep threat? I don't know if that's really going to do that much because that's m- what Mike Wallace already was. I think they just need talent that can play on the outside. Well, there's so many guys that, you know, have the talent. You know, when I watch a guy on tape or even highlights or whatever I can get on him, you know, some guy, like you said, Mike Wells giving up on plays. It was so apparent. You know, the ball could be within diving distance, and he could make a catch and, you know, probably save a few things. There's a few times he would just stop running. You know, when I look at a guy, if a receiver is jumping out for a ball, and even if he can't catch it for a dive or if he's trying to – Mike Wallace was trying to be flash at the end of the season, one, throwing up one-handed, um, trying to make one-handed grabs. There was no, there was no necessary feelings to do that. In two hands, he would have had five or six touchdowns. I mean, I think somebody that stretches out for the plays, somebody that's going to make the effort, someone that's, you know, that's not Mike Wallace. Heartline dropped off because maybe the laser scheme confused him. I really don't know. You know, Heartline's a mystery to me. He goes from, you know, over 1,000 yards, close to 100 receptions the year before, and he doesn't get it done. And this year he doesn't catch nearly as much. He drops passes he always catches. And you can't say him and Ryan Tannehill don't have chemistry. It's there. It's just, uh, is it the laser scheme? I don't think so. I just think that, and, you know, Brandon Gibson, he had this downer year. You know, he's coming back from injury. He dropped a lot of passes that he usually makes. And that's another thing. If you can't catch the ball as a receiver, I don't care how talented you are. I will not put you on my board. Okay. Uh, I'm going to bring Jim Coburn in as well. So when you are looking metrically at what teams tend to do at certain positions. What do you think is the philosophy used when drafting receivers by a team like the Dolphins? What do they seem to, to go after? What do they seem to like? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I'll answer the UCLA uh, conundrum. Oh, okay. uh, answer that first. Uh, I'll do that, and I'll go to wide receivers. Uh, well, when I look at the Miami Dolphins, they've been trying to get a a stud weak side linebacker ever since last draft class. It's like Ryan Shazier was their target uh, last year. Right. If you don't think right, so, yeah. look at the suit he was wearing. He was wearing an aquamarine greenish suit. It looked like it was a terrible suit, by the way. But uh, it, was, it was a Miami Dolphins flag suit is what he was wearing. And then Pittsburgh came in and snagged him up. So I think it's just what it was. So I think that easily, if they're going to UCLA, they're looking at Eric Hendricks. Yep. Uh, as far as first round or second round, I mean, who knows exactly what happens with him, but he's definitely, a, 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 as a weak side linebacker, he's definitely probably one of the best, if not the best guy in the class. Here's a question but, for you. Oh, yeah. go ahead. 
I was just going to yeah. say, do you think he could move over to strong outside linebacker considering um, bust, a bust of a free agent pick, Philip Wheeler, hasn't done squat, and Jelani Jenkins has stepped up to be a true good uh, will linebacker? Can you uh, that? I don't – I don't know about that. Uh, I, I mean, I do like Jenkins, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know about him as a strong side. Like, nothing about Eric Kendrick stands out as, like, a strong side linebacker, but he definitely sets out he, as he, a – He's a classic, he is a classic run and hit will. John Mowley, right. Ian Gold, Kato Jude. You know, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, Paul Dawson's another one of those types who probably – a little better in terms of power and stuff like that, but I mean that's that's definitely an interesting possibility. But I I don't really see him as a strong a strong side linebacker. It's just you know there's nothing strong about Eric Hendricks at least you know overly strong. But uh, when it comes to wide receivers, it depends on the type of team you are. Uh, there's tape based teams and then there's crazy speed score jump teams. You know, there's teams that just draft guys who jump really high, run really fast. Uh, you guys know some of the names. Uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the Jets, the Jets wide receiver that came oh, up. Oh, Stephen Hill. Guy. Yeah, uh, the Cleveland Browns even drafted a guy, Pete. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Greg Little. Yeah, him. Uh, oh, Trent. Yeah. I mean, they they usually go out. Those... like two or three regimes ago. Yeah, <laughs> that was a long time ago. But I'm just saying that, that there's teams that go after that, and then there's teams that go after you know tape based uh, drafting, which is kind of what Jarvis Landry was. Jarvis Landry uh, didn't test the best athletically, but his tape was really great, and his market share was also really good as well. Uh, he was about 38 percent of his team's uh, offense, which is you know, in the top, uh, I think it was like top 25% zone, which is pretty good. Uh, but it, depending on what teams do, it all depends on the team. A lot of teams, they look for they look for height. Uh, they look for, you know, speed. They look for power uh, and all the other kind of stuff. Uh, with me, I think you need to have all three included. I think you need to look for height, but I don't think it should be a prerequisite, you know. Um, I think you need to look for athleticism, but you don't. But even if they don't have the greatest athleticism, it doesn't really matter if they're a really good route runner because that's one of the number of things that I've noticed with wide receivers is it's really about production. It's the, the production and market share is by far the biggest correlation for success. It's not athleticism. It's not how fast you run. It's not how high you jump. That's extra stuff. Uh, what makes a really successful wide receiver is, is realistically getting into that top 30 percentile, which is where – I think it was like 87% of all the starting wide receivers over the last 15 years were in that top 30 percentile of market share, uh, which is the uh, which market share is just uh, you take a, a wide receiver's best statistical season uh, in terms of yards and you divide it by the total offensive yards. Uh, it's and even then you're still going to have to look at the tape. You're still going to have to look at all those other sort of stuff. It's just that the clusters of wide receivers that have been really successful have been in that top three percentile. And some of the guys we think is the greatest of all time have guys have been in, you know, the top five percentile, top ten percentile sort of area. But uh, I don't know how much teams use market share. But what I do know is that they, they look at 40 times. They look at, you know, broad jumps, verticals, uh, size, 
you know, Kelvin Benjamin type stuff, you know. Um, and some teams also look at age, but I don't know very many teams that look at age, or at least, never, you know, it's a team-to-team type situation when it comes to age. Some teams, I think, probably do take age into account. Like if a wide receiver is like 24 years old, uh, they kind of look away, but there's other teams who really don't care. But um, but like I said, it depends on the type of team you are. And it also depends on uh, if you're an organization that likes to invest uh, the types of wide receivers you like to invest in. I mean, there's teams like, you know, the Packers who will rarely ever take a wide receiver in the first round. You know, they'll take one in day two sort of area and get these kind of underrated guys. And then there's other teams that try to do the, you know, do the splash type, stuff, you know, try to get the wide receivers in the first. But as far as – You mean like, you like the – you mean like the like the like the uh, uh, Falcons? They like taking wide receivers early. Yeah, they like to take the studs to make up for the fact that the quarterback isn't that great. Yeah, those types of teams. Um, but it, it's you know it's a potato potato type position. But the bottom line is is I I think you need you know as far as generally evaluating the position, you need to be looking at tape. You need to be looking at athleticism, and you need to be looking at you know market share. Athleticism and market share really just deals with overall upside. You know, I mean, a guy could, you know, a guy could be a really good wide receiver uh, if he if he's really good on tape and he's really athletic and uh, everything else like that. There's a pretty good chance he's going to be, you know, a very great wide receiver at the next level. But there's definitely going to be a bunch of guys in this draft class, in particular like Ty Montgomery, Sammy Coates, where there's going to be some questionable stuff on tape. You know, uh, where you have to go, okay, you know, he definitely tested like a stud on paper, but, eh, you know, those hands, man, you know, like, yeah, stuff like that's going to come up. Personally, those two aren't on my board right now, just because they, they're they too inconsistent, both of them. I wouldn't I have them only as a receiver. I'd make them a safety, but that's me. <laughs> yes, we we kind of sort of had that discussion before about drafting uh, Montgomery as a quote unquote athlete, uh, and then trying to figure out what he is later on. I think we might have been joined by uh, Cody. Join us as well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I'm jumping. Ah, excellent, excellent. Um, so, as you may have determined, we're we're digging into some teams and their draft needs, some draft scenarios. We're going to talk about the upcoming All-Star game, including the NFLPA game, and the impact that ha- that has sometimes on draft scenarios. And then we're going to round this sucker out by taking a look at some of our, our own sort of individual positional rankings, which, once again, um, as I said the first time we did this months ago, I'm not asking anybody to sign anything in blood, but now we've moved to the point where I think people can at least sign in, I don't know, mucus. Uh, we've at least gotten to the point where uh, we may not have finalized our rankings, obviously with combine and pro days and things like that have happened, but at least I think we have a pretty good idea of who we like and what we who we like who we like and we don't like and why. Uh, I'm going to jump back to Pete for a second. This wide receiver class is really good, but obviously because of last year's class, is you know people aren't in love with it. They like it, you know, because of last year's class is not say spoiled exactly, but you know, they aren't goo-goo-ga-ga over it. Um, but what do you notice about this year's class as opposed, you know, in comparison to last year's? Well, last year's class had, 
you know, Sammy Watkins. Everybody thought, oh, he's the greatest elite prospect, even though I had him fourth on my rankings because he does a lot of things he needs to improve on desperately, and you saw his, his rookie. But there's no that guy in this class. There's no Mike Evans in this class. There's probably not – I mean, uh, Amari Cooper might have an argument to try to be in the same sort of uh, stratosphere as Odell Beckham in terms of the the combination of skills he has or maybe sort of like a Nelson Adler. Uh, Beckham was a special, special athlete. I mean, the guy is the type of yeah. – type of human being that could have been a professional at what, whatever sport he wanted to put himself to. I mean, soccer, football, whatever. He's just that kind of gifted, gifted guy. So, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it and, and you're, you're looking at a draft where you're arguing between Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, and Odell Beckham, however you want to rank those, this year you're looking at uh, Cooper, you're looking at Kevin White, you're looking at Devontae Parker, and, and, and some people – who are still wrong, uh, will throw Jalen Strong in that conversation. So you're just – there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of talent. It's just going to be at a more reasonable price, I suppose, in this class. I'd be a little shocked if somebody goes in the top ten just because it's a stupid way to build your team uh, has been constantly proven. And I'd point to the fact that outside of of the Bills – who, whose offense was absolutely no better with Sammy Watkins on it uh, from a statistical standpoint. Everybody who was, who was you know, su- superstar wide receiver, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, and, and the remarkably inconsistent Kelvin Benjamin, all of their teams had losing records. I mean, that's, you know, for, for the argument to take a receiver and, and, you know, the franchise guy, they don't add very many wins. And they 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 end up being more window dressing than anything else. Uh, where a guy like uh, some of these other guys, if they're going in this more reasonable value in that ten to thirty two range, suddenly it makes a lot more sense. So these teams generally have a quarterback in place. They generally have more uh, to build around, and 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 the, these guys end up accentuating what's already there. But when you get to that second, third round, there's a lot of good value. I'm a big Justin Hardy fan, but I think uh, some of these some of these guys are in this sort of uh, not the usual suspects uh, as far as schools and some of these other guys where they're going to get get picked. I mean, uh, you know, a team like East Carolina, Justin Hardy's the guy, but Cam Worthy is somebody that's going to get noticed quite a bit in the All Star circuit. I mean. He had a great season. Uh, he went out big in the bowl game, and then he's going to have his chance at the All-Star game. Uh, I think some of these smaller schools are going to have a chance. But then, you know, you're going to have some of these big school guys. They just aren't the 6'5", you know, 230 uh, type guys. They're polished. I mean, the Auburn guys, Sammy Coach runs one route that I've seen. Uh, sometimes he will bend it a little bit, but it's basically one route. Uh, Devin Smith of Ohio State, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to win the championship, but he runs one route. I mean, he does one thing really well, and that's, that's sort of his thing. Now, maybe somebody will, will look at him and go, well, he's the next Deshaun Jackson, Mike Wallace, what have you, but he runs one thing. He runs go routes, and he can go up and get the football a little bit. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of value. I, it's Last year was a historic class, and and, and – it, you were spoiled last year. You just were. I mean, even 
I mean, everybody could, was bagging on the Browns for passing on the receiver class, and, and perhaps deservedly. And then they get Taylor Gabriel undrafted, who has a pre, you know a pretty good season uh, as a rookie. It, 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 because the class is just that deep. I mean, a guy like Mike Campanero had no business going in the seventh round, but he did. Uh, sadly, injured a, a good part of the season with a with a hamstring injury. But you know, he, getting that type of talent around seven, getting some of these other guys, is just absurd. Yeah, I could not agree more. I, I would love seeing guys like Trey McBride and Cam Worthy and, you know, uh, you know, uh, Harry Adagi and Sam Izala and some of these other guys going, you know, maybe day three or things like that, but still in the middle rounds and later rounds, maybe over some of these bigger names, but super, super raw. I've noticed that this year a lot of the quote-unquote smaller school guys are more developed in terms of wide receiving skills than the quote-unquote big school guys who are, who are the raw, the more raw prospects. Um, Mr. Tuffy, Tumi, I want to ask you a little bit about, well, first of all, sort of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to talk about some of the things you noticed in this draft class. Um, well, uh, I'm Cody. I live out here in L.A. now and uh, been doing, uh, I guess, Officially been doing draft stuff for about like a year and a half now with uh, SB Nation for Cincy Jungle. And so kind of just doing a full on, uh, I was just scouting prospects for specifically for the Bengals for the last little bit. So then this year I'm just doing a full uh, big board and going into it uh, completely. So um, I guess a, a few things that I would, um, just to touch on that, just another late receiver James Wright was just buried on the depth chart in that LSU team and, mm-hmm. you know, was called on in the Bengals because of injuries, and he played well. Um, and I think it's kind of amazing to look back at that LSU offense and not understand how they didn't score 100 points every game with Beckham and Land, um, <clears throat> Landry and Wright and Jeremy Hill and Mettenberger. I'm, I'm so confused. <laughs> and uh, Leo Collins, the younger version of him, but still pretty surprising that that team wasn't a better offense last year. But um, uh, some things I've been noticing, there's, there's a, I mean, this defensive end class, if you can't find a pass rusher, which every team really needs, if you can't find one this year, you should probably just fire everyone in your front office because it is the most loaded defensive end even slash defensive tackle team in a long time. Not as much pass rushers from the defenseless tackle. Once you get past Malcolm Brown and, um, you know, some people like Jordan Phillips and Michael Bennett and uh, Sheldon. But, uh, I mean, you have guys like Ray Drew that's going to go probably fifth round or later who was one of the top high school prospects coming out. And it just kind of reminds me a lot of Aaron Lynch last year where he didn't really produce that well in college, but it's possibly a system, you know, thing for him where Aaron Lynch goes to San Francisco and gets turned loose and he's getting after the quarterback. <clears throat> so I think that could be a, a benefit to this year being so deep, teams will be able to get guys late <clears throat> that if they fit their system can still be productive. Um 
another guy, Devontae Fields, you know, I'm assuming he'll go ahead and declare and not stay in college. He's been wishy-washy. Obviously, a lot of off-field issues there, but on-field production, that guy's a first-round pick probably if he's clean. If he's squeaky clean, he might even creep into the top ten, and he'll probably go – he may even go undrafted. It just depends on whether a coach is willing to stick his neck out for him. So I guess a lot of the the value this year is there seems to be a lot of guys in in trouble, Um, and – I guess that happens every year, but it's all about if a team wants to take a risk on a guy like that and, and stick their neck out for him. Even DGB, I mean, he's probably the mix of mix of like AJ Green. DGB. What? But especially DGB. I mean, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, got he's the got most so checkered much. of them all. Yeah, and he's like probably a mix of Odell Beckham, AJ Green, and Josh Gordon. He's probably the clone of all three of those guys. He's got Josh Gordon's brain, and he's got a mix of OJ, uh, Odell Beckham and A.J. Green's on-field skills. But if you can ever get him to the field, it's gonna he's going to have to get taken by a team that has some leadership that can, you know, guide him. Or he, he's just going to be out of the league in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and you'd have a really good wide receiver coach, too. I mean, this guy's been away for a while, and even when he was playing at Missouri, let's remember that Missouri has one of the simplest uh, route trees in all of big-time college football. Right. He's not terribly developed as a route runner, and he's been a body catcher a lot of times, too. He, unlike A.J. Green or Beckham or the other guys we're missing, he doesn't have great hands, or he hasn't shown great hands, I'll put it that way. Uh, right. He's a guy that has a big catching radius, Snagging the ball out of the air like the other guys you name. And you wonder too, wasn't it uh, wasn't it uh, Macklin that after he came out that he'd never seen a route tree until yep. he got to saw a playbook. So yeah, I mean obviously you're gonna have to invest some time into him and be be sold that he can learn because even the greatest athletes once you if you can't run routes in the NFL you're not gonna get open because teams will just bracket you and shut you out. And more to the point, you just can't get on the field. I mean, that's the big question. We don't know. <laughs> Why the hell I think, did he go to Oklahoma? I don't know where he is. Well, he went to, uh, what's that one place? Uh, Eastern Illinois. And then he... For a minute. For a minute. And then he got greedy, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go to Oklahoma. And they're not even going to know. They're not even going to know. And then they found out, and then they're like, eh, you can't play. And then that's Yeah, they, they tried right. They, they tried. It had to be the dumbest appeal that had, what, 0.01% chance of being accepted that they were going to waive his, uh, his, his year off and let him play for Oklahoma. That was so – he should have gone to a nice FCS program Got the yeah. work he, was he was there. He was there. He was about he, to do it. He was already yeah, done he that. Didn't do it. That's what I'm saying. He should have done it. Whether it was Eastern Illinois or wherever, found somebody with a quarterback and just stayed there. But he he went to Oklahoma to practice for a, a season. And if maybe if he took the time to really get get his stuff together, I you know maybe there's something there. But I it's just. 
you, you, he didn't have a ton of tape, and it's not, he's not the, he was a superbly talented player, but it's not like he was, you know, the greatest receiver in college football at Missouri his one season. He was good. He was, I mean, he was mostly hype and potential. It's not like he had really put it all together. I, I don't really buy the idea that, that oh, DJB's, you know, this guy's great. He's going to come in and be, he's going to be the next superstar. He, he hadn't shown that on the collegiate level yet. I don't, uh, don't buy the idea that now he's going to suddenly be a stud in the NFL. Yeah, he should have. He could have pulled a a move like Deron Carter there too, and just played in the CFL, put some more tape on film. I know it's not the same as the NFL, but at least you can show hands catching, you can show route running, you can do your own thing, and put some tape on the, uh, you know, out like Deron Carter. Now, you know, he's going to do some private workouts. I read today for teams, and you know, maybe he gets drafted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he's obviously not Randy Moss. I mean, he's close. Well, he to... never had a season like Randy Moss had at Marshall. That's, that's what I'm saying, but that, that was the blueprint. But, I mean, he gets – Randy Moss gets kicked out of Notre Dame, gets kicked out of Florida State, goes to one double-A Marshall where he, you know, they win the championship. He's the most dominating force on the field, and then he ultimately ends up being a first-round pick. I mean, the blueprint was there for Beckham to, to follow, and yep. he opted yep. not to – not to follow it, and 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 in many cases the the issues that that uh, off the field that that Beckham was facing were not all that different from the ones Moss was dealing with. Yeah, with running, obviously notable exception. I mean, Randy Moss never got violent with any. Well, uh, except dudes. I mean, he got fights at Notre Dame and Florida State, but he never got any violent altercations with women, as far as I know, ever. Right, but I mean. Uh, you know that I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've I've heard ugly ugly rumors about it when when teams get into that. There's probably a lot more there, but I mean, in the same sense that Jameis Winston is technically dismissed, even though the investigation was a joke, so was Beckham cleared. I mean, it's right. Well, they're actually yeah. on the hook for it's it's drugs. The, the the term is not cleared. It was the young woman who who he's still with. Did not press charges. That's what it really right, is. He, right. But Fine, he, he did not the press charges. But but it's it's pretty clear if you read the police report that an incident had taken place. Uh, we don't know whose fault it was that it originally started off, but it's clear. I mean, there's no getting around both his, the physical evidence and the testimony of his girlfriend bear out that he got physical with her. I mean, there's no that's not even in dispute. That part is not disputed. Right, and I have no interest in, in taking the kid. The only one I know of who is in the first round is is Donovan James, who uh, seems to have no there's no red flag red enough for him to avoid. Uh, come on, it's half a draft Twitter. You gotta, you gotta admit, half a draft Twitter wants to put him in the first round. I mean, from what I've talked to. Well, those are the same people who who have no qualms with with Jameis Winston with his off field issues, and some of them are now advocating that. Cardale Jones and his two games of experience go go declare for the NFL. Well, he's not going to do that. I mean, he's not even guaranteed to win the starting job at at uh, Ohio State. So, and Cardale, Cardale Jones, who all reports I've heard is matured and you know grown out of some of his earlier immature behavior, has no intentions. I mean, 
of even considering that, in fact. And like I said, he's worried about winning the job. I mean, he's assuming that Braxton Miller transfers out, which is an assumption. I mean, there's no he has a petition to do so. But even if that happens, he's still got to beat back the challenge of J.T. Barrett. And what if, you know, obviously if, if, if Braxton Miller stays, he might be the third string quarterback. There's an easy solution for that, and it's the diamond formation. And we just have Zeke take a snap with, 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 uh, with, with Zeke and Braxton flanking him and 12 gauge behind him. How, my prediction for that is if, by the way, I would totally put Braxton and JT in the same backfield. That would be stupid not to. But, I, but my prediction that's guaranteed to go wrong is that, that, that 12 gauge goes to Youngstown State. Ooh. Jim Trestle's the, Jim Trestle's the one that recruited him. Ohio State, obviously, he's got some loyalty there. If he wins the championship or loses it, I don't care. I can't imagine he's going to want to go uh, be a backup. And if he, if he was to transfer, it would make sense to transfer down a level because if he stays at Ohio State, the job may be his in a year, so there'd be no point in leaving. So if he goes, go FCS, and the, one that, the places he could go, Youngstown State would make the most sense, close to home, has obviously a lot of infrastructure there and could play immediately. Huh. Good point. Those are good points. You should you should be an advisor. Uh, also, let's talk a little bit about obviously the the All Star Game. Uh, the the Senior Bowl obviously is considered sort of the you know the top of the the food chain amongst the the postseason uh, All Star Games for collegiate players, and then you know East West Shrine is sort of at this point, comfortably nestled in the second position. And then in the sort of battle for third, you have, well, for some of these, you know, things have come and gone. What used to be called Texas versus the nation, sort of come and gone, uh, Casino del Sol, uh, the old blue-gray game. Uh, there's been a lot of sort of movement there, but um, Mel of Honor, NFLPA game, sort of, Contenders in that in that strata, uh, you've got some that cater to exclusively the smaller school players. You've got Dream Bowl. You've got uh, the uh, national uh, game and things like that. One of the things that's good about this, I mean, not the coming and going of games. That I don't think is terribly good. It'd be nice to to have a sort of solidify a a nice, you know, five or six game rotation or whatever uh, and not have show, uh, teams, you know, sort of have some of these come and go. But the, if, assuming we can solidify that there's at least, you know, five or six good ones and tiered in whatever order, the advantage, once again, is getting exposure. I mean, that's the main advantage is that these, some of these players, particularly the small school guys, unless they have the advantage of having some well-known or well-respected player on their team or a down transfer from a big school or whatever, some of them have never had a lot of attention on scouts. And even in the case of some of the big school guys, they may be asked to do things different from the things they were asked to do at the collegiate level, the chance to show that you can learn. I remember at the NFLPA game that the, the twins, the uh, Dixon twins, both uh, uh, Bryce Dixon and um, uh, Brandon Dixon, had never played off man in their lives. Not high school, not college, not uh, top corner. I mean, he literally never did in their lives. And Daryl Green was the uh, DB's coach at the NFLPA game, and he literally taught them how to play off-man coverage. 
uh, in basically three days. <laughs> you know, they went from guys who had never seen or done off-man coverage to guys that looked pretty decent actually doing it. And, of course, both brothers, uh, the Nixon Moser, both in the NFL, at least partially because they, they, they're coachable and partially because they're really good athletes. But what are some of the things – I'll start with Cody – um, what are some of the things that you're looking to accomplish or learn when you go to uh, the NFLPA game and practice in the game itself? And what what impact do you think it has on some of the guys who, who participate? Um, I think for me, this will be the first time I'm going to, like, a bowl game where I have credentials and, and can see up, up close. And I think one of the really big things is just, you can watch as much tape as you want, but sometimes in person it's so much faster. Just kind of seeing, you know, in person past the eyeball test, you see that all the time. But, again, when you see somebody in these small schools, they may play, you know, 13 games against offensive tackles, and two of those guys may be decent, and the other, you know, 11 aren't really that good. So what kind of level of competition, at least at that, you know, at that level, the competition across them is going to be uh, comparable where you can kind of gauge where they stack against equal competition so that at least the cream will rise to the crop at something like that. And I guess, you know, personally for me, you know, my goal is just to accomplish is just to, you know, work my first, like, you know, full-on, like, scouting live um, and being able to take notes but watch um, – at the same time and kind of figure out that balance at something like this, uh, you know, for myself, because I've never done that. So it's going to be a challenge for me to be able to take notes, but still try to watch as much as I can and not be writing on paper when something big happens. And, uh, you know, any interactions I can get with the actual players would be a bonus just to, you know, maybe get an interview for them and, you know, maybe it'll give them some exposure. I'll probably write a piece up on anyone that, you know, takes the time to chat with me and just, you know, get them some exposure if I can. But, um, you know, that's my main goal is to just kind of learn how to scout at a place like that where it's live. It's easy to scout off film because you can always just rewind and, you know, keep going over it if you miss something. So learning how to do that live is probably going to be the biggest challenge for me or the biggest thing I'm looking forward to doing <clears throat> okay and david you're are you going to be at medal of honor or what where are you going to be in terms of that uh well it depends what bowl game you want me to go direction toward i mean i can speak about the medal of honor bowl but um personally i've attended the senior bowl before and it was an experience to remember i did it back with my undergrad i got credentials and there's a thing that I wanted to touch on that wasn't touched on just yeah, briefly. Um, also, it's a good way to see what kind of uh, guys the or kind of players these guys are with their helmets off, how they act around um, different yep. players, how they react around the media, uh, how humble they are. You know, thinking back to when I went, Ziggy Anzal was one of the biggest prospects in that draft. And most people are just like, well, he's violent with his hands on the field, this and that. You know, he's got to be fired up. When you talk to Ziggy Anzar, he is one of the humble, most quiet, you know, guys you will ever come across. He doesn't say much at all. So 
it's also a great way for media members to understand, you know, not only are they ferocious football players, but sometimes they're just, you know, laid back guys and, you know, they're not, they're different under the helmet. Like the helmet puts a different face on them. Uh, yeah, well, you have to remember Ziggy's a guy that's almost an accidental football player. I mean, he he's he's a guy that came to the game very late. He tended to walk on for basketball, then try track and field, and eventually he was like, okay, wow, what the heck, what about football? You know, so he he's different from a guy like DJ Fluker, who is a football player to his soul, to his core. I mean, those are two very different types of journeys to football. <laughs> where, you know, D.D. Fluker's been hurting people and enjoys hurting people since he was probably seven or eight. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's where you have Ziggy Ansa, who at 21 took the football, or 20, 20 and a half, 21, something like that, took a football game for the first time and barely knew what to do. I mean, I just wanted to say that you meet, especially with the Senior Bowl, how they lay it out. I've never attended another, like, Bowl game per se, but you know I'm very active with it. You know, trying to help these players. You know, I do know a few people down in Mobile. I know a few people down in the Shrine Bowl. I know a few people at the Medal of Honor Bowl. I know the whole Dream Bowl staff. But you know, it's just it's also a good uh, opportunity for these guys to also, especially the media members. They might see, oh well, you know he's ferocious on tape, but you take off his helmet, and you know he's real laid back. He doesn't say much. And he's humble about everything compared to, you know, some guys are just, they're used to it by then. The Medal of Honor Bowl, it's got some very good talent this year. There's a lot of guys that people are starting to talk about. And one guy that's been raising a lot of eyebrows is Chris Bonner from Colorado State Pueblo. Yep. Uh, he's 6'7", 225 pounds, kind of small on the, um, not the, his build is Glennon-esque, yes. Yes. Some people say he has flanker ability. I don't see it. You know, I think he might be closer to a Cam Thomas type. You know, I think he has the ability. He would be a good, intriguing developmental prospect. Another guy that I've heard a lot about this week from one of my players that's down there right now. Um, let's see. R.J. Harris from New Hampshire, supposedly he's really making a name for himself this week. He's six foot two, two hundred pounds. He's he's kinda of like Jarvis Landry. He's not very fast. He's not gonna put eye popping combine numbers, but he's gonna run the right route and catch every ball his way. And then there's another uh we talked about this earlier, big freaky guys, uh Kyle Pratter from Northwestern, six foot five, two twenty five. He's had a pretty good season, but, you know, I wanted to see more out of him this week. And, yep. you know, so far I think he's had an okay week. Another guy that's um, the one that person I know that I've talked to almost every night, um, Gabe, Gabe Meadowbrook from Charleston Southern. When you watch his film, you see a guy that's really pops. He's got a great motor. He knows how to use his speed. He goes sideline to sideline. He's very active. Uh, he's had about seven teams talk to him this week. So there's interest there. Let's see. And one of my favorites, see, he's actually on my board um, as a guard, is uh, Shaq Mason from Georgia Tech. Now, he's 6'1", 300, which doesn't seem very big. But he plays a lot bigger than this size. He's a great run blocker, and he's very mobile. 
So, you know, I think that that was a guy that a lot of people have overlooked. You know, I think that Shaq Mason probably could have deserved at least an NFL PA Bowl game or even a Shrine Bowl game. I think he has the talent to be a really good guard at the next level. Okay. Excellent. Um, Jim? James Coburn. One, how impactful do you think in the eyes of, you know, the scouting community are the actual All-Star games, and what is what do you think players understand or what do you think players maybe misunderstand about what bowl games mean in their, in their process of being evaluated? I don't – you know, this is a tough question because, one, me being uh, – you know, I went to the Senior Bowl last year, and after going there, I – and after seeing, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like driving down a road, and there's good-looking chicks on every side of the road, and you're trying to drive, and it's like you know you're walking a little bit. Oh, there's Marvin Lewis. Oh, there's Bill Belichick. Oh, there's Rex Ryan. Oh, there's Rob Ryan. Hey, there's that guy from television. Oh, that's that GM over there. Like it's it's a crazy. It, oh, this is the guy I've been watching tape on for the last three months. So it's very much a surreal experience but the but the main thing you realize when you're there is the GMs, the coaches, et cetera, those are decision makers. You know, those are guys that ultimately in the draft room, I mean, they might have a little system set up, you know, they might have a little oh vote. We'll put all the votes together and then we'll make a decision. These these are guys that ultimately make the decision on a lot of you know, on a lot of uh, the draft selection. So when you go to a a bowl game, a practice, or whatever, you know, and you see a guy like Aaron Donald, you know, Aaron Donald had a really great day. In fact, you know, flat-backed Cyril Richardson in front of everybody. Um, And and when I mean everybody, I mean everybody, GM, coaches, whatever. And people after that going, man, that guy who was a, you know, getting kind of second-round buzz going in, you know, late first to top 10, top 15, well, we know where he eventually ended up. You know, he ended up being the 13th overall player. So as much as some people go, oh, it doesn't matter, the combine's more important, or all this other sort of stuff, I would just say that a lot of the draft, in many ways, is about the relationships you make before you actually go into the draft room, you know, the personal relationships you make, uh, and the impact you make on a personal level versus just the film. and when you make a big impact at a bowl game uh, or at the senior bowl, whatever, uh, especially the senior bowl, because everybody's there, you know, I mean, again, I mean, Bill Belichick was even there. He, he didn't want to be seen, but he was there, you know? So, uh, and you do something really great at the senior bowl, it's going to leave an impression on that guy because, you know, the coaches, the head coaches aren't watching college bill uh, for the most part, they're game planning and doing their old thing. GMs most of the time are worrying about what they're worrying about. Um, they might be doing a little bit of draft work, but not really. Uh, the scouts are the scouts. You know, they're they've been doing they doing they're doing all this, but ultimately the scouts aren't running the team. So, you know, anytime you can develop that relationship with somebody, you leave that big impression on them. Um, it it has a big impact. So I would say that's that's kind of the main benefit to. Uh, the senior bowls and the bowl game process is just there's a lot of times where just getting invited, you know, one guy gets invited, uh, has a great week, 
that could be the difference between them being drafted and being on drafted free agent. That, that's what I always thought with like Zach Kerr last year. Was Zach Kerr was a guy tore it up at the Shrine game, uh, didn't get the invite. Justin Ellis got the invite. Justin Ellis ended up going in the fourth round to the Raiders, and Zach Kerr, as we all know, went undrafted and is now in the Colts. So, as much as I don't, you know, as much as I want to say like, oh, well, that probably wasn't what, wasn't what it was. I would say those guys are very similar prospects with very similar tape. In fact, Kerr is a little bit better, uh, and Kerr is even more athletic than Justin Ellis. Uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, Kerr got, did get drafted, and Ellis did get drafted. I think they're both great players. It's just that the way the bowl games kind of work, it's big, huge. And certain guys that you think – that's the other thing about the Senior Bowl as well, is there certain guys that you think, shouldn't have gone the second round or shouldn't have gone the third round or shouldn't have gone the first round. Uh, just look at where they were. Oh, is it the senior bowl? So obviously he left some sort of impact, whether in interviews, on the field, whatever, with a major decision maker. And that ultimately ended up with them getting drafted because that's what the draft is really all about. It's about the relationships you make. Tape is, you know, tape, tape is tape. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, I say that, but, you know, there's lots of great players at the FCS. There's lots of great players uh, at other lower-level division schools. But ultimately, if you're not building relationships with coaches and stuff like that and leaving an impression with them one-on-one, uh, it's very hard for them to remember you on draft day. So that's that's kind of the big impact of the bowl games. Is, sure. uh, there's going to well, be a good chunk of players at the Senior Bowl and a good chunk of, uh, you know, maybe not a good chunk, but a pretty good chunk of players at the Shrine game. Uh, that are going to end up getting drafted just because they were there and built relationships with scouts and teams and coaches, et cetera. Well, think about this. E.J. Manuel was a guy that I think, from what I, once again, you know, obviously some of the things you hear from your friends and NFL scouting positions aren't always 100% true. But the consensus of the NFL scouts I spoke to was third, early third, you know, late second, but mostly third-round grade is what everybody was saying they had on E.J. Manuel. E.J. Manuel has, maybe great is too strong a word, but has a very solid week of practices and has a very good game at the senior bowl. And now everything's all different. And he did wow people in the interview room. He had, you know, with his character and his leadership and the blah, blah, blah. So that's, that stuff really matters. Clearly it matters that you're getting face-to-face for the first time with a bunch of young men who you're going to decide whether or not to give a great deal of money to them. And you can't tell me that that doesn't matter. Of course it matters. If it didn't matter, these guys wouldn't go. So thinking about some of the the All-Star game, uh, obviously, like I said, we talked about the Senior Bowl, and the Senior Bowl is still the you know, the jewel and the crown. It's still the thing that, you know, every guy, no matter where he plays, always, you know, if he can go, that's where he wants to go. And unless, you're, of course, you're a top quarterback. They they don't always want to go. But everybody else, everybody else wants to go. Unless you're <laughs> A.J. McCarron, so you can get drafted in the fifth round. You can turn it down. <laughs> yeah, well, see, if you weren't around for the draft promise rings, um, Pete Smith, do you want to explain the concept of a draft promise ring? Um, we discussed those, uh, I guess, around this time last year. Well, I don't – I mean, 
McCarron's thing was just idiotic. I, I mean, I don't know who told him anything or if anybody told him any the the idea that don't worry, we're going to pick you. That's more of an NBA. That's commonplace in the NBA. Stop it working is. out. You won't get you won't get past here anyway. Uh, but you know, I don't know how much that happens in the NFL. The NFL is more agents trying to game the system for either hide guys. Uh, flaws or whatever under the guise of we don't want him to get hurt or he needs to recover from something or whatever. And then you have guys who would scratch and claw and drive themselves uh, to go practice on the parking lot outside the senior bowl. Uh, th- that's sort of the annoying dichotomy of, of the, the situation where guys get invited and then, you know, say they're going and then, and then decide to one, one weak excuse or another don't I mean I look at a, the the guy who stands out to me last year was Carlos Hyde, who could have been head and shoulders better than everybody at the Senior Bowl in terms of running backs. Uh, didn't go, uh, and basically said he just didn't want to go. It's not like he even bothered to come up with an excuse for it. And then he got hurt in training, and then he couldn't do the combine, so nobody had anything to go off of. Uh, until you know the draft, and then he, he ends up going in the second round. But uh, you, know, you still can't help but think somewhere along the line he would have helped himself if he could have gotten on the field and and and, and showed showed we could have done in person. Like I said, especially at the Senior Bowl, he would have been huge compared to some of the other guys, and, and I think he would have done exceptionally well. You know, it, the other thing that's always funny about the the Senior Bowl, I, I went last year and I'm going to the Shrine and then the Senior Bowl this year, is where the media uh, at large is generally attracted. Uh, last year, the star of the show was arguably uh, D. Ford in terms of not only did he have a good week, but he killed it as far as charisma and, and the media and everything else. And and to me, I think the Chiefs drafted him three rounds too early, and he didn't do anything. Uh, they They couldn't get enough of, Jimmy Garoppolo, they couldn't get enough of, uh, you know, some of the other quarterbacks. And then the guy they really loved seemed to be Taj Boyd, uh, undrafted. So it's weird. And, like, guys such as – like, I went, I went and talked to, uh, I think, Jarek McKinnon after every single practice because nobody else did. And all he kept doing was running the ball for, for these huge gains in practice and then ultimately goes in round three. Uh, the Vikings – and he's just a big, strong kid who, who measures well. And I know – Coburn was slobbering all over him with the metrics and everything else, and, and for good reason because he was a he was a talented player. Uh, so I mean, it's 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 interesting to see sort of who gets looked at, who doesn't. I mean, it's it's funny how much uh, all these guys are there, and then how many of them aren't actually paying attention to what's going on in the field because so much of it is sort of a almost like a reunion uh, feeling slash job fair as much as it is a a scouting event in terms of football, but for the people who think, and, and I've, I've dealt with this argument, it's annoying. The people who say, oh, this doesn't matter. The players love it, but they can't get enough. And they sort of feel how important this thing is. And when they're out there, they, they, they can't uh, talk enough about how, how big an opportunity it was or how much they appreciate the, the, yeah, the, the, the fact that they went and everything that went into it. And beyond just the guys who are, um, sort of uh, promoting themselves to the NFL. I mean, there's a there's a few guys. Uh, one one of the Senior Bowl, and then a couple of the 
the Shrine game that are from, you know, the service academies, these guys aren't uh, really sort of marketing themselves for the NFL. I mean, they may get a shot down the line, but, but ultimately this is sort of just a truly a celebration of what they were able to do in college, getting wined and dined a little bit before they go actually serve uh, as part as part of uh, why they went to school. Guys, you know, the long snapper from Navy is going to be at the – at the senior bowl. And then you've got uh, the, a fullback from, from army and, and another guy from Navy at the, uh, I think a safety in the, the uh, East West shrine game. But for me, I'm for me going to the shrine game. I, I get to finally go see uh, Darius Kilgo in person. And, and I get to see why try to go find out why everybody seems to not like this guy except me. Uh, I love the guy based on what I've seen. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's guys who are more physically impressive, but as far as doing the job of being a nose guard, I'm a fan. I want him on my team. Uh, does a does a great job. Has impressed me on tape. He just seems to to do what doing. I'm curious to see Austin Hill and uh, Casey Williams uh, to see where they are in terms of uh, in terms of recovery. Where you know. Are they back? Is it coming back? I mean, both guys were really promising uh, a year ago prospects. Case Williams breaks his leg. Uh, Austin Hill has an ACL tear, and, and you know, they, they both have sort of down senior years. And if these guys can, come, you know, get back to 100%, these guys are potentially huge values in in, in, in a loaded wide receiver class that's going to be full of, full of middle-of-the-road uh, type talents that could go in any number of uh, orders once you get out of the first couple couple rounds, whereas a guy, you know, you get to the senior bowl, I'm going to be stalking uh, T.J. Clemmings and Ty Sambreo and praying that one of them ends up on the Cleveland Browns because I'm a huge fan of both. Uh, and curious to see, you know, if, if guys like Bud Dupree show up because I the more I, I watch, the more I think Bud Dupree is going to end up going – incredibly high. I, I was thinking to myself in one, one scenario, I could see where Dupree goes third overall uh, based on, based on measurables and, and his upside. I mean, he looks uh, in terms of strength and speed and everything, a, a lot like Ziggy Atza. Uh He's not quite as big, but just in terms of overwhelming uh, potential and tools, uh, I could see him being attractive to a team like Jacksonville's that Leo backer and letting him loose up the field. If, if if uh, if if Tennessee was smart and takes Leonard Williams at that number two spot, suddenly Jacksonville uh, could be in a situation where they, if 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 they're like James and look at Randy Gregory's tape and go, I don't know about this guy, that uh, Bud Dupree could be the could be the guy that, that suddenly steps up and and uh, and fills that hole. And then you know, obviously the other thing with with any of these All Star games is is anyone going to be able to play anything that even re- reasonably looks like a quarterback. And at this point, I'm not sure uh, that's going to happen. Last year, it was Derek Carr and everybody else. And the everybody else is pretty, pretty mediocre for the most part. Even Garoppolo did a really nice job at the Shrine game, but he was okay at the Senior Bowl. And there's nobody – Garrett Grayson seems to be the best of the crop, and I don't know if he's even going to sniff anywhere near where Garoppolo was last year. So you're looking at what could be a really, really rough time as far as as, as passers throwing the ball and then perhaps uh, the receivers getting hurt as a result. I, you think you think Bud fits the Leo? I just I'm, I'm just so down on Bud when I watch his tape. He gets such a quick first step, but he doesn't turn the corner well. 
He's he like, doesn't. Here's the thing. If, if he's playing square up against the tackle, I think he can do it. Uh, it's, I, I, I'm watching, and I'm, I'm looking at the same thing, and I'm going, he never turns to the corner. But when he's square, he's fantastic. So if it was me, I would put him at defensive end. But if he, if, if he plays that wheelbacker, he can do it. But you just need to either learn how to bend or not try to win that way and either just go, go straight at and basically like Atta does, and he's strong enough and quick enough where he can make people look stupid that way. Yeah, I mean, I think Gregory, if they're sold on him, I think he goes three if, if they like him because he fits the Leo well. But the, the other thing with Dupree is he goes all out for the quarterback always. And in the NFL, teams are just going to run counters and gash him or runs right up the right back at him uh, because he. I mean, if it's a race to get two two yards behind the quarterback, he would have thirty sacks, but he never turns the corner so. That's the thing, like you said, he's going to have to. If he squares up and, and plays on him, then then maybe. But you, you're going to have to. Like he's a huge bust potential guy for me. He's got to go to the right system. If a four-three team takes him and thinks they can just stick him on the end and have him get sacks, it's just not going to happen. He's got to go to a team that's going to use his skill set. Uh, or I think he could be a Vernon Golston type, where he just comes in, has a few splash plays, but never really plays consistently. I kind of I kind of agree with that. I think he's along the line of a player that you uh, if you bring him in, then you have to have a line that's pretty well set. And then if you want to add a little spice to it, I think Bud Dupree's a guy that can help you out. But if your one technique can't push the pocket or get any type of leverage inside, I think you're going to have a struggle if that's you know your primary pass rusher uh, out of the gate. The thing I like about Dupree is the fact that he win he can win inside and outside. Again, he can't turn the corner. But if he goes, he can go straight through guys, and he's fast enough where if he gets through, he's a freight train. Now he's got to get better at making the opportunities he gets counts. But I'm not worried. I, he can play the run. The issue I have is is the cutbacks. I agree, but it's not because he's going up the field. It's because he goes so hard inside down the line, right. and when he right. when they set the cutback up, he gets sealed off. Uh, but in terms of that stuff I I think you can fix rather easily. He's just got to be a little bit better as far as the angle he takes. But, you know, like I said, this is the same issue with Ziggy Atza where all these people were talking about, well, you know, he'd be great as an outstanding outside linebacker. And my thought was this would be a bad, bad idea. Uh, personally, I thought Atza's best fit actually probably would have been as a uh, – is what he is. But if, if he hadn't been that, I think he would have been a better five technique than he would have been a – Outside linebacker Dupree, I think he's best suited to be uh, in a, a base end. But if he if you want to stand him up, he can do it because he can drop into coverage and all these other things. But don't get don't get uh, the idea that he can bend around the edge. Just have him go straight through. Forget the forget the other stuff. Playing just like Anson is he? If he was Golston's problem was he 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 could get around college defensive lineman getting around the edge, Bud can get through whoever inside, outside. And I think that's, that's going to be the thing. If, if he, which is why I think it's huge, hugely important that he goes because I think he would be successful against these, these guys he'd be facing. But I mean, if we get to the pit drill and suddenly it's, you know, TJ Clemmings against Bud Dupree, that could be a show. Well, that's one of the matchups I think people will enjoy. I want to jump back for a second to quarterbacks. Um, my understanding is that exactly. Bryce Petty did Bryce Petty did accept his invitation. Is that correct to go to the oh, Super Bowl? Right? Yeah. Look, 
Bryce Petty's old. Bryce Petty has a broken back. Bryce Petty does some very nice things. Bryce Petty is not an NFL quarterback. Well, this this is why I think the senior bowl is so important for him. Because if he does show people he can operate under center, if he does show people he can pick things up quickly, and if he does show people, obviously, I mean, he has deep ball accuracy coming out the yin-yang. If he shows people that he can also throw, you know, sort of an entire menu of NFL throws on the run, not make receivers throttle down, hit them, you know, you know, seven inches in front of their breastplate consistently, all that good stuff, you know, put it right on front of the guy's nose and all that stuff. He could make that push for the third QB. I mean, which this year, some people might say it's not all that impressive a thing to do. But, I mean, no offense to Garrett Grayson and all the other names I've heard bandied about for the for the, the possible number three. Say what you want about the old and the back and other things like that. There are things that Mike Fetty has done, though they, in a very simplified offense, admittedly, that the other guys haven't shown they can do. Like throw a ball 48 yards in the air and drop it right on a guy's fingertips and do it several times, in fact. And that's – people always talk about, well, there's certain things you can teach. It's really hard to teach deep ball accuracy at the NFL level. I Name a guy who got way better at that at the NFL level. I mean, Brady to some extent, but there's a, it's a short list of guys that went from not being able to throw a deep ball accurately to pickering it up at 23 or 24 or 25. I still, I mean, of course, obviously, I mean, I'm clearly a petty apologist or whatever, and I, I admit to that. I don't see why he can't be the guy if EJ freaking Manuel can turn himself from a third rounder to a guy that goes in the middle of the first. I don't see why Petty can't turn himself from, I'm well, really basically a question mark to a guy that's at least so considered as running. Yeah. Yeah, right. For so the, for the third great. quarterback. Yeah, and as far as Grayson goes, Grayson's 24 too, so he's an old man too. Yeah, yeah Grayson's right. old. I think that, Petty for fine. me I, is just that, consistency now. I, I, I'm on the worst team quarterback wise in the entire NFL, and I don't want <laughs> any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, well, I can't, it's just I can't consistency with Petty. Yes. But you were saying what about Petty? It's, I think for me, it's just consistency with him. He'll throw a great ball, and then, uh, you know, he just has to work on his intermediate stuff and, and, and consistency in those routes because oh, his agreed. deep stuff is just agreed. like – But nobody and he has, has the perfect 40, set too. yard throws on the money than he does. Nobody. Nobody. Right. And he has nobody. Uh, <laughs> I mean, ball, balls that not about run and catch, about 40, 50 yards in the air, boom, dropping right on a guy's, right in front of a guy's helmet. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that more than he does. Is he going to be able to collect himself by the time the senior bowl starts because Connor Cook sort of stole his soul? <laughs> it, 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 I mean, he was. He was <laughs> inconsolable on the sideline after Connor Cook came back and, and stole stole that victory. Yes. And yeah. that doesn't bother me. I mean, I want a guy to be busted up inside when that yeah. happens. I, oh, it's it, but, but are we sure he's ever going to be able to play it? It was bad. <laughs> Especially when I, it's not his fault, though, too. I mean, like, he marched him sure. down, and then all of a sudden, field goal gets blocked. And he ends up losing the game instead of winning it, and now he's thinking, "Oh man." Yeah. Well, I mean, Team Martin is impending osteoporosis. I, I mean, I, I think it's <laughs> 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 
Yeah, we enjoy having fun with, but he's how many months younger than, I mean, how many months, did I tell you, how many months All right, here than, we go. This shirt, Brandon Weed defense here. Hit it, Bill. No, not Brandon Weed. Yeah, I'm but Brandon about, Weed was way about, older. Way, way, way you know, older. No, I know. Every Brandon Weed defense started with. No, I'm, with... Talking, I'm talking Tannehill. Tannehill. Do people realize he's only a few no, months? I know, but young, every defense with Brandon Weed started with the sentence, he's he's still younger than insert quarterbacks now. <laughs> I'm not worried about Weed. No, I'm talking about Tannehill. I mean, He's only, uh, what is it, is it four months, four and a half months, Jim, that he's younger than, I mean, older than Tannehill? I mean, I don't know why he's people two, think this point is two, Well, well, Tannehill was two, uh, 23.7, uh, right. two, and then Petty is two 23.93. Right, so, okay, there it is. Not right. that big of a difference. So, not, not a huge difference. And they're also right. very similar in terms of, you know, a bunch you know, of they're things. not not as tall, but definitely coming from kind of spready sort of systems, and you know, anyway, you're a pro style in college. Well, what? Tannehill ran pro style in college. Pro style was kind of pro style. He ran white shirt, really crappy offense. <laughs> it, he, he was asked. He was asked to do. More things than one of scrimmage, I, I, and certainly he occasionally operated under center. Those are two things. But they were, let's be honest, that team was still seventy-two percent, if I remember correctly, um, out, of, out of the gun. I mean, it wasn't like he was—he wasn't playing for Lombardi on the '66 Packers. He was still playing in the well, those days, the Big Twelve, in a Big Twelve-ish offense with some pro-style, with some West Coast offense principles. Is really, really what it was. So he knows more of the verbiage, obviously. Come, that's the main difference. It's it's really the verbiage. He knows more West Coast offense verbiage coming out than anybody. You know, he and you know, obviously, a guy like say Luck at uh, at Stanford. That's a big. That part isn't a big jump to them. They're used to saying all that mouthful of stuff with the protections and the routes and the hots and they, that they've done before. But in terms of the types of throws, and they're not usually different. Um, I would say he's probably thrown a few more again, sort of West Coast offense staples like China routes and stuff like that and than, than a guy like, well, anybody else has, except, once again, a guy like Luck. You know, so, they, you know, hey, why stick? Yeah, he's thrown more why stick. He's thrown more China routes. He's thrown more angle routes. He's thrown more, you know, once again, I mean, look at all those classic West Coast offense staples. He's thrown more of that stuff. But the point I'm making is that what do the people say they have trouble finding? Guys who can throw the deep ball accurately. That's the thing that people keep bemoaning. You know, all these guys are throwing all these bubble screens, blah, blah, blah. Well, they do throw bubble screens at, at Baylor, but they also throw the ball deep more and better than anybody else. I mean, that's, that's not even – I mean, I'm not – this is not my opinion. If you go back and look at air yards, how many times they throw the ball 30-plus, 40-plus, even 50-plus yards in the air, they're – out in front of everyone else by a good margin. Like, the next closest team is something like 7.2% fewer attempts of those types of passes behind them. They're, they're a good margin in front of everybody in terms of what asking someone to do that. Now, admittedly, he's got to work on working the pocket, obviously. He's got to work on operating under center. He's got to work on reading, really reading a defense. 
like everybody. But once again, who is the guy who's done that much more than he has in terms of that? It's not like Mariota's been doing that. Obviously, Winston has more familiarity with that. But the rest of the quarterbacks in this class, you know, not named Jameis Winston, are relatively undeveloped in all those areas as well, leading the whole field. The rest of the quarterbacks in this class suck. (laughs) That's true. They do suck. But it, it's embarrassing, it's embarrassing to me that Teddy Bridgewater and Derek Carr were 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 uh, were so picked over last year. Right. This year, I, you know, how do you, how would they not be one and two in the draft? They would be, and that's the the, the thing that gets you is these guys to be one and two in the draft. Hell, Garoppolo could have been could have been one uh, a shot at at least first rounder in this draft. Throwing that one out there. If you're picking a quarterback in this class, chances are it's not going to work. But I mean, I, I don't feel good. I mean, I, I need to go back and watch everybody. But again, but I don't feel good about anybody. I mean, I, I really don't on any of them. Maybe Winston, Mariota, and then I don't know. I think you know Humley's kind of like the forgotten about guy. You know, I managed to run into some well, of his tape this week. He's not forgotten about. I, I don't. But I mean, when, when you think about how bad this quarterback a, class he's is, he's kind of he's kind of a mess though. He's a talented mess, but he's a mess. Well, that's if the thing, you want to bring up E.J. Manuel, you're looking at him. His name is Brett Hundley. Well, A, uh, I, I'm going to disagree with that because if you look at some of the tape, he's actually made – he's gotten a little bit better from last year to this he's year. He's gotten a little bit better. And he's had some drops. He's had some bad offensive line play. he's I mean, better than Manuel. He's better than Manuel. You have to give him like, that. It's a little bit I'm just saying, if I had to take – if I had to take a third guy – It'd be Hunley, and I wouldn't even like lose sleep over it. Like, it's in all seriousness. I I think those two is very similar in that they're both athletic, they both have big arms, they both don't see the field particularly well, both make questionable decisions, and to me, both are multiple year projects. Well, I think all the quarterbacks in this match are multiple year projects. So, so let's what the heck? Let's do the third quarterback. Let's go around the room. Um, I'll jump down to David West. If you had to take the number three or name who the number three is in this quarterback class to you. Who is that guy and why? Um, Petty's my number three quarterback simply because of a high-octane Baylor offense that's played really well this year and last year. You know, I think that he fits, you know, almost any scheme out there. He could be an addition to anyone that he's pretty much scheme versatile and I just think that Huntley is just – he's not it. He doesn't have the factors that I like in a quarterback. And Petty also has a very good deep arm that a lot of these guys in the draft really don't have. Okay. So someone agrees with me. Um, I always like when that happens. Uh, Cody, if you had to uh, make the rather difficult call of who the third QB is in this class, who would it be and why? Um, sorry, I jumped off my phone acting up there. I was gone for a second. Um, yeah, I think it's going to come down to me, uh, the senior bowl and, uh, whether Grayson or, or Petty, uh, goes, I, I mean, everyone's on Hunley and I think that's just cause he's a big guy. He can run. He, he's got a strong arm, but I mean, for me, in the NFL, how many of those scrambling quarterbacks or guys who run often 
tend to make it long term. And if if I'm starting a franchise, I want long term. And I don't know that Grayson's going to be, uh, or Garrett, uh, I don't know if Garrett's going to be a guy that's going to be a world beater, but I think he can be a Mark Bolger. And if you put weapons around him, he can get the ball to the short and intermediate. Um, he doesn't have the deep arm that Petty does, but, you know, if you put him on a team with weapons, I think he can be a good manager uh, of a game. And, and I know that you tag the game manager to a quarterback, and that's an insult, quote-unquote. But, I mean, if I'm a quarterback, I want to live in the in the realm that I'm in. And, you know, I think a good case this year was you look at quarterbacks and they get out of their comfort zone, like Colin Kaepernick this year, they were like, don't run the ball, stay in the pocket and throw. And it was a disaster. And the one game they turned him loose, he dominated and he ran all over. So I think you have to just kind of let a quarterback be who he is when you draft him, not try to change him. So I think for me, I'd probably lean uh, uh, Garrett at this point. Uh, And then obviously senior bowl is going to be huge as we already discussed for Petty. If he can, if he can pick up an offense quick, if he can hit unfamiliar receivers on their short and intermediate routes just enough to make you think he can learn and get better. And there's so many of those quarterback gurus that these guys will see in the offseason that can work on his mechanics and help him in those short to intermediates. Like you said, you can't learn a deep ball. A lot of times you can learn the short throws a little bit better and – at that point, really, it's about can you make the quick reads? You know, you can be a little bit off target as long as you make the right read on the deep well, ball. Short to me, passing is about, as you said, the quick read, quick decision, and timing. It's not about, quote-unquote, not as much about, quote-unquote, arm talent or whatever you want to call right. that. I mean, there's whatever you want to call it. He clearly has an understanding of how to get a football to a place on the field quickly and accurately. and some of that just God gives you. Like, quarterback gurus can help you with lots of things, but they, you know, we just mentioned, I was like, Grayson. Garrett Grayson could go to, you know, Bill Walsh and uh, whoever else you want to name. Like, every guy's ever worked with great quarterbacks in the issue of football. Tom, they, what's the Tom, Tom's, what's his name, what's his last name, that worked with Dalton this offseason yeah, and worked with, right, um, right, right. I forget his last name, but, Ooh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah right. But there's, there's, like, all of them. You can line them all up. They can't – Grayson won't be able to do certain things, no matter what. Like, there's certain things, he has limitations on him. A guy like Teddy doesn't have those limitations. To a certain extent, a guy like um, – though he's less developed in delivering the ball accurately. Can, somebody mentioned inconsistency, and then someone brought up Teddy. I mean, uh, Hunley. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Someone's going to ding Teddy for inconsistency? Inconsistency, they're going to bring Hunley up? And then right. – <laughs> Wait. He, he's he's way more inconsistent. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Zoot the Lord. There's obviously some rawness to all the guys. Like I said, there's no Andrew Luck in this class. There's no one who can point to say, "Oh, wow, that guy's an NFL quarterback just waiting to get to the NFL." None of those guys exist. And some people say Jameis Winston is as close as you can get in this class, which is fifty-three percent true, I guess, but. There's there's a lot of well we'll save some time for Davis. We I guess we can't avoid talking about it. Um, let me move on to uh, well, Montel already weighed in and told us his number three, so I'm going to ask Montel. 
Mr. Coburn, who's your, you know, gun to your head, as they say, who's your third quarterback for this class? Bo Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just joking. It's not Bo you Wallace. Did it. Just, yeah, you did it. You did it. You did it. It's not Bo Wallace. Oh, I'm about uh, to say, James, you did it. It's not Bo Wallace. Uh, it's, you know, this is really tough because, you know, the the benefits that Hunley has is that he's two years younger than, than Petty. He is uh, But at the same time, Petty has been a more consistent player and overall has made the better throws and everything else like that. And when it comes to those two, they're really interchangeable in my mind. They're more but, similar than um, people realize. People don't realize how athletic Chris he's been playing with it as he plays out of broken back. But Bryce Petty's a really athletic guy. When he's healthy, yeah. And when he's not so he's old healthy. with the osteoporosis. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's, but he's white, so he can't be athletic. <laughs> that's what everyone – I mean, that's the thing that everyone – I know, I know people say that. It's just, I know people say it's so that. stupid. Ah. Man, who am I going to pick? Jeez. So the thing is, I don't like – I mean, it's the third quarterback, but uh, I think I got to – I think I got to go Hunley. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with the youth. We've got two Hunleys. We've got a great suit. We've got two Petties. Um, Pete Smith, did I ever find out who your third was? No, and it's – I might just take the the bullet, uh, but <laughs> I mean, if, if I have to choose, if I have to choose, I'll take I'll take Brett Hundley, but it's not with confidence, and it's not set in stone at this point. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if a guy like Bonner from CSU Pueblo ends up passing yep. these guys because it's just as bad of a group. But at least with Hundley, he's 22, he's young. He's at least played in a pro-style-esque yes. offense in yes. terms of he's done a little bit of everything. He's worked He's worked with uh, some some quarterback coaches. No, the, thing that, yeah. the thing that scares me with Brett Arnley is, is he just hasn't gotten much better right. since his freshman year. It's been a very slow climb. I mean, this was supposed – I mean, everybody looked at his, his redshirt freshman year and was like, oh, man, this guy's going to be – you know, the best. everything, Amazing. and then he got slightly better, and it's, you know, he's, he's a little bit better, but he certainly got the upside. The thing that scares me, and I think anyone, when it comes to uh, Petty or guys like that, is they get in the NFL, and it's, three, you know, two, three years of development for this guy to show something, and then now you've got you know, a 27, 28-year-old backup that may or may not be worth something as opposed to at least somebody with, with that's younger with tools. I mean, I mean, I know Ben Albright's a big proponent of the 24, sort of the death age for quarterback <laughs> prospects, and, and, I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll bow to his expertise on that one. It's not a good history in the NFL when quarterbacks enter the league at 24 or older uh, – as far as the success rate. So, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i stuck with it, I'm going with Hunley knowing that I need to basically hide him for a couple of years before he sees the field. The, but the okay. new CBA, the one thing you have to think too is that with the new CBA, depending on where you pick them, right as you see them develop, you may have to hand them a contract just to see if they are worth what you've seen. <laughs> 
So you use it what's the with the first round you can call, hold them for five years. The second you can hold them for four. Yep. And then I think what is a fourth where you drop off or you only get them for three lock. I think it's yeah. I think it's three from that point. But again, as somebody who whose whose team has Johnny Manziel and Connor Shaw, and that's it. I don't want any of the quarterbacks from this class. Right. Just, I can tell you all you need to know about this class. The Browns should be in full-on tank mode for next year. And just hope <laughs> that someone comes in so they can get a quarterback. They look. They're they are in. Johnny Manziel has to get substantially better, or they're boned. I mean, there's no. There's no other real option. I mean, they could sign a Jake Locker. They could sign some some of these other guys. But, I mean, you, you know. You can't bring Hoyer good. back. Hoyer's not going to come back, even if you tried to sign him. He's going elsewhere. I'll tell you what. You, you signed yeah. Jake Locker, and you just you just put yourself in tank mode. If that's if that's looked at as help, then. Uh, right. I fully expect Buffalo's going to end up with Brian Hoyer. That's, that's my guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Locker Locker would make sense. I don't know if the whole coordinator shakeup is going to impact that, but that's yeah. I mean, you're basically grasping for a quarterback. If Manziel doesn't get much better, and granted, great, I wouldn't have made the pick. I've said all along, certain people like Donovan James who swore this was the greatest quarterback, blah 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 blah. He's not good. Maybe he'll be better, but at this point, the Browns are basically looking at grasping at a quarterback, Kyle Orton, them to a to a 500 record. That's how bad this whole thing has gone when Derek Carr was sitting right there for me to take, and they yep. they didn't get it done. Uh, and then and Teddy and Bridgewater then, too. Yeah, and then Bridgewater, and the fact that you can you compound the fact that they pass on those two guys, they take Manziel, and Manziel does so poorly in his first year, and then you follow that up with the bleakest draft in a while, a quarterback combined with nothing in free agency. It just it, it, you basically they basically potentially screwed themselves for two years on this pick uh, that, that is basically done le- so far has done less than Brandon Whedon did. Again, hopefully that will change. But th- this class isn't it, it's so bad that you're basically like, well, let's see what Manziel can do. I think they were hoping that that Bills pick would turn out to be a top pick, and it ended up being you know three picks off of where their pick was and. Yep. And like you said, the worst part is that there were three quarterbacks that people had highly rated. I mean, I, I had Menzel as a third-round prospect myself. You look at the tape on him, you can look at all his box score. It looks good because his accuracy numbers were high. But you got Mike Evans out there catching everything you throw. That helps yeah. your percentages yeah. a bit. Well, um, well even over the middle. Mr. Brett really, Huntley, yeah, yeah. Mr. Brett Huntley, how different is he from a smaller, whiter Brett Huntley? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, is, at least, is, is I don't know. Was he not solid with Manziel? Was, I mean, was that the question? I well, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the thing. I don't think that's In terms of the flaws, I mean, I think Hunley's got a different personality type. Also, I mean, I don't mean mentally. Yes. But stylistically, right? Because if you want to play football, you want to get wise. better. Yeah. The thing with Manziel, too, is that the, the worst part about for the Browns is that Two of those three quarterbacks turned out to be good, and they picked the one that was rotten egg. Yeah, it's so far. Yeah, even if they go with Garoppolo and they they bring it along slowly, then you've got a guy who at least is quietly studying and might have something, you know. But uh, (laughs) I I didn't like it. 
Well, I mean, well, it shows you look, too a little bit. I would love to be able to pat myself on the back that Derek Carr is a freaking stud because I thought he would be, and oh, I thought Brady would be a stud, and I think he will be. If his last name was Derek Jones, let's pat each other on the back because that was my number one quarterback. Teddy was my number two. Yeah, I had Teddy as one and Carr um, as two. I have I have Bortles up there with him, thinking, okay, Bortles probably has the most upside. Um, nope. You know, but you know, well, I, 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 I uh, yeah. admittedly didn't watch as much tape of uh, Carr and uh, Bortles as I did Bridgewater. You know. Yeah, but. I had the car as my number three guy, and then I had uh, Bridgewater too. And Bortles, I mean, I can't. I, I really like him. I, I think when you look at some of his tape and some of the things he did, he kind of was like the modern day quarterback. I mean, the arm strength, you know, it does need to get a little bit better. But I mean, he, you know, he had mobility, uh, strong, accurate, take a lot of shots, get back up. You know, sometimes you um, saw some uh, gas with his footwork. I noticed in the pocket he had a, got a little lazy there. But I think once Jacksonville gets that off the line better, you're going to really see him shine. Uh, but, yeah, as far as Carr, you know, he was my number three quarterback. I knew he was going to be good. He has this really smooth release. Well, you know he's just a polished passer. And one thing I, I liked about him was his ability to get the intermediate balls in there with touch, velocity. Uh, it's almost kind of like a pitcher. He just had really good control, dude. He knew how to put just enough on it to get there uh, with the right amount of time. And uh, you just knew that just comes to practice. He was a very rehearsed quarterback. And uh, in that system, I was surprised because he runs, you know, mostly a horizontal offense. So to be that polished and that good, uh, that's probably why he was overlooked with the system. And I think if his last name was Derek Jones instead of Derek Hart, this guy probably would win the first round. I thought Minnesota was going to take a shot at him. Should have. And they should have. I mean, not that they did badly with Teddy, but they'd be even farther along, in my mind, mm-hmm. if they had Derek Carr. Yeah, um, and at the same time, I didn't expect Teddy to be there, too, uh, where the Vikings were picking. So, yeah, but, yeah, you're right. Jackson, the thing is, maybe that's similar, though, too, not one, like he knows – I think he – Teddy rarely turned the ball over in college, and I can see Mike Zimmer saying, I'd rather have the low ceiling, low, higher floor on a guy like Teddy where he knows he can just build a defense – run the ball with Peterson, <laughs> and say, all right, you can throw me one touchdown a game, just don't throw any to the other team, and I'll be good. Exactly. Sure. And that's the thing I liked about that class is that I was as comfortable with Teddy's floor as anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Jackson is horribly for doing what they're doing to the Blake Bortles when they <laughs> swore up and down that they weren't going to blame Gabbard him, and then they turn around and blame Gabbard him. Blame Gabbard him, right? <laughs> I thought that was really dumb. And that's part of the thing. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think that's some of the issues with NFL teams. If you're going to say, hey, we're going to take him and sit him a year, then please sit him a year. Like, there's just – I mean, I hope – you know, he took way too many sacks in in the games he played. I think he averaged almost three to four a game. It's just entirely too much. Well, you should – you should like, break his pinky on his throwing hand when you get him so he can't play. I mean, it's that. It, you almost have to take the, the control away from the NFL team. And Manziel is no different. He has no business seeing the field this year, which is predictable, and Winston's going to be the exact same deal. He has no business seeing the field in his rookie year. It's And, it's the, just, and the Jets are going to take him and play him day one, and they're going to stick him in the media. Look, it's going to be a hoopla nightmare. All right. I can say is I pray somebody takes some of the top 11 picks because that means somebody better is getting pushed down pick because you have to be unbelievable. You have to have the biggest balls in the universe to pick Sammy Winston in the first 10 picks. You just have to. 
Imagine the press conference you're going to have. 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 You just took. It, it's going to happen. Have you seen the players? Have you seen the things that Isaac does? <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah, it's going to happen. You know, and lay it out on the table when he explains to the New York fan base what they what they need to get behind. Yeah, <laughs> they're, gonna, they're just going to serve crafts to everyone. Why not? I mean, I'm just saying, man, like, someone's going to do it. Uh, I think some of the talent's there. And uh, I don't know. I, I like Jameis. And I know, you know, he's got some issues, but still, you know. Yeah, yeah it might be worth the top ten. Look, there's only two franchise possible quarterbacks. Jameis Winston's a non-starter. He's not, I'm not even considering him ever. But even if let's take the off-field out of the equation, I'm not interested. He's a redshirt, redshirt sophomore. I don't know how many times I have to go over this. They don't work. Storman Norman is not happening again. <laughs> I'm not interested. It's too the bike, damn hard. Bike, 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 I, I, think, bike out of it. <laughs> I think, and this is, of course, pending. Disappointment. This is, of course, pending off the field. But I think if they can get James focused on football, I think he's going to be – and by solid, I just mean he'll be around and he might stay a job, stay, keep his job as a starter. I mean, I'm just saying I think he can play. I think he's got some skills that transfer very well to the NFL. I know historically redshirt sophomores haven't worked, but that's also uh, attributed to the way they've been handled since being drafted, which is kind of like in college where they come in right away and they expect them to succeed. You can't be Superman in the NFL, and if you expect James to be there right away, then, yeah, sure, he'll fail. Uh, but if you bring him wrong with class, you have a solid off to the line, some weapons, uh, kind of like what the Jets might intend to have for him, and a, you know, uh, a coach that cares about defense, you can do some things. I think you can win with Jameis, and I think you can win with him as much as you can win with any quarterback taken uh, both this year and last year. So, he has I, no awareness to what is going on around. He couldn't even get through the Sugar Bowl without doing something stupid. It's un- or the, I mean, the Rose Bowl. He, he comes into the field and does the puff, puff, pass thing. You're going into a league that is run by a bunch of old white men. This doesn't work in this world. I don't. You can't do that. And then, and whether you want to, I'll make the argument. I've heard it that this is just how Jimbo Fisher and Jameis Winston go at it. It doesn't look good when you yell at your coach on the sideline. This is one game. Look, Johnny Manziel lived off the entire nation on Monday Night Football. So if we're going to talk about what's allowed and what's not allowed and what you can't be allowed to do, Jameis has character issues. I'm not going to debate that with you. I mean, it's not a debate. His character sucks. He's got to mature and be a better man. I mean, but I'm talking about on the field. If he can play on the field, if they can keep him out of just enough trouble, it'll be fine. But if you're you're citing Johnny Manziel, that's all the more reason not to make this mistake. I, I, I... I think some team's going to pull. I mean, there's no – I mean, the, the thing that would, would make him slide is if there were last year's that class where there were at least three or four guys that were tossed up. But there is him and Mariota, and that is it. And Mariota's going to go one, who knows, maybe Tampa Bay. But now that they hired the offensive coordinator that's from the Oregon tree, I think Mariota's <laughs> the one no, no matter what. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, I think you've got Mario to one, and then somebody's going to pull the trigger on Jameis, whether it's the the Jets or um, if he gets to, to Buffalo, he's not getting past Buffalo. Uh, so I just I just think he's going to go high because 
teams are desperate. You know, you look yeah, at the Browns situation. Well, desperate. Yeah, going back to the well, just to, uh, just to fix it, uh, Buffalo doesn't have a first-round pick. That's actually Cleveland. But, yeah, uh, I think they just have a second and a third and a fifth, actually. That's, they keep that's, forgetting. Yeah, like there are families bigger than Buffalo's draft line. They're, you know, single-parent families. <laughs> Buffalo's draft yeah. line they're coming in this year. So, But they're going back to the Johnny Manziel comment, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Do you really think Jameis is going to have the same issues as Johnny? I mean, he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's – I mean, he, I don't know. When he they're gets on the field, he's making the pro and throw. Huh? They're both children. Forget Manziel's physical limitations because they don't even matter yet. Well, no, 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 no. They do because you can see it every time he gets on the field and tries to do his athleticism. He got tackled twice this season and he already is out for the season. No, no, no. What I'm saying and is – yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is Manziel's physical limitations don't even matter. He couldn't run the offense – he wasn't yep. ready to play NFL football. He could have been six six two sixty. He was still a child with no clue. He was absolutely lost. Connor Shaw goes in there, and it was like a revelation, the difference. And one guy was a first-round pick, and the other dude was an undrafted free agent who just happened to have four years of college experience. I'm not wow. doubting Jameis' physical, physical talent. What I'm saying is it is so hard to play NFL football when you are one of the best experienced guys out there and you're putting a child out there who has no idea what they're doing and doesn't has shown the maturity to handle anything and suddenly he's got to make this work on the Jets after playing at Florida State where he had a great offensive line, a great team and threw 19 or God only knows how many interceptions last year. It's just a bad situation for everybody involved. And it's not his fault. It's just what's going to happen. He's going to get somebody very fired. <laughs> I I'm going to beg to differ, but uh, I'm curious to see how it's going to work out. Well, you know who you know who might sleeper this year though is Manning. If he if he I mean like if the team takes him late and squats him on the bench, they'll get I mean, him late. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's, he's going to go late, but he's a guy that you know coming into this year people were getting goo-goo about and thinking that maybe me, he could come up. Me, that was me. I was goo-goo. <laughs> but it's like, he's a guy that maybe you see, okay, you know, he squats on the bench for a couple of years. Uh, you know, a team that has Kansas City, um, you know, they got Murray last year, but he was late. You know, you see a, a Denver, somebody that has an established guy that you can just send him back there. And Actually, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the team, and this is my prediction. Atlanta is what I think is where he ends up. He's got a lot of sort of poor man's Matt Ryan stuff to him anyway. Well, they, they have any questions in common, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, Texas. But the, 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 problem, the problem is, here, here's the thing. Everybody forgets that Buffalo drafted E.J. Manuel with a plan to sit him. And then a batch mat completely up into that plan, and E.J. Manuel had to go in. You, I mean, it, it sounds right. great for – Blake, I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars had a plan to sit Blake Bortles. The Browns had a plan to sit Johnny Manziel. I mean, these they always sound good, but outside of, you know, Brock Osweiler and Jimmy Garoppolo, they just don't work. They, I mean, they, they just always seem to end up on the field one way or another. If right. you can that's burger, that's oh but that's the thing. But that's the you thing. Know, Some of these are out of circumstances. They're out of preference. But he shouldn't have had to be thrown out there, but – Mettenberger actually, you know, showed he had some stuff. Where would Mettenberger go in this quarterback class? Third, fourth? 
I mean, amongst the quarterbacks. One. Um, one. Well, it depends, <laughs> on if he, it depends on if he fails his drug test at the combine again. That's like oh. the ultimate red flag for me. Well, then Florida State's in trouble because that's their move. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like that's like you sitting, you know. But I mean, that's like you sitting at a bar and a cop walking into the bar and saying, "I'm build, I'm putting a DUI checkpoint outside," and you slamming ten beers and then getting the car and driving out of there. Is it right. like an open receiver failing a drug test moments before the national championship game? Is it kind of like that? <laughs> Right? It's like kind of. uh, you had one job, dude. Just not screw up for 10 days. <laughs> uh, yep. But that's the thing. Mettenberger, talent-wise, it's put him just behind the top two. Uh, I think I think maybe you had him that high. I certainly didn't. I think there's a... And and not to say you're necessarily in this group, I think there's a healthy amount of revisionist history with Zach Mettenberger. He was not accurate yeah. at LSU. That team grossly underperformed relative to the talent they had there. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, and Jaron Hill were on that offense, and they didn't win very much. I mean, Yeah, I said that earlier, too. They had James Wright for the Bengals, too. He was buried on the dead chart, never even saw the field. Because he was terrible. I think the last they got a whole lot of other wide. Okay, got Michael Campanero. Imagine Michael Campanero on the Bengals. You know, I'm just saying. Well, well I, uh, it's, it's, I think it's the last that, uh, whatever receiver. Huh? They tried it out. What's the stranger of Arkansas still last week instead of uh, Kobe Hamilton? Just uh, Kobe Hamilton. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Colby Hamilton, they like, oh, signed him to the practice squad. They just were decimated with injuries, but that's not it. I won't even talk about my 29, which will now be 9,100 and at least 24 days before the Bengals win a playoff game. Um, Is that how long Andy Dalton's going to be there? Because I will enjoy every game he's there, as long as Andy Dalton. The greatest I mean, they're just, they're just built to do so well in the playoffs and stuff, and then they just fail, but... Yeah. Well, had, the injuries just killed them this year. But deep, yeah, that defense they, was supposed to be a lot more dominant. Absolutely, they could have they had no completely healthy. No Andy Dalton will not let that team succeed. Be careful, Ooh. Pete. Andy Dalton well, might go to the Browns. Be careful. There's Shut only, up. There's only up. so He's many games. Forever, Mike Brown's got his guy. Yeah, there's only uh, so many. Uh, there's just only so many times you can try and. But it's only he doesn't have a whole lot of bad games. He just doesn't have a ton of great games. You know. Yeah, so, he did. I don't think he played poorly, considering his top receiving option was Mohamed Sanu, and yeah. they had their third string running back playing in the slot. I don't think he played it. Andy, I, I fully expected Andy Dalton to have the greatest game of his life, just to freaking mind screw the entire world with no AJ Green and everything else, no Jermaine Gresham, no Tyler Eifert, and have him go out and be the great like 400 yards and five touchdowns. I fully expected that to happen, just to screw everybody. And makes them have no idea what's going on. Having said that, Andy Dalton is the Bo Wallace of the NFL. He's no, so bad oh, that God. when he's functional, you get conned into thinking he's actually good. I don't. I don't think he's that bad. I think once again, it's part of the growing process in the NFL. This takes time, and this is what I was telling Bill just a couple of weeks ago. Um, when you draft a quarterback, you know he's your guy, and some guys get it right away, some guys get it later. But the point is, do they get it? 
Obviously, Andy Dalton doesn't get it right away, but I think he, he, with with a healthy offense, he can he can develop in time, and I think he's going to be solid. Now, if you thought they got an elite quarterback, then yeah, you were definitely fooled. But if you thought they got some guy they can win with with their style of football, I think in time they'll be proved right. If I think that you know, I mean, he's the one of the only quarterbacks Johnny Manziel played. Johnny Manziel was a dumpster fire. Andy Dalton was barely better. It was that bad. Did Andy Dalton barely outplayed Dumpster Fire Manziel? He's terrible. I have to watch this guy in the AFC North, and he's awful. His stats will look fine. He will have these games where he looks perfectly functional. He kills that team every time. Do yourself a favor. If you just think to yourself, you can easily come up with 20 quarterbacks in the NFL right now you'd rather have than Andy Dalton. Actually, 20? Yes. Uh, uh, 20. Uh, 20? For myself and Coburn, Matt Ryan's probably not coming until about 16. 20? <laughs> I'm still not past 20. <laughs> but, I mean, if that's if that's your thing, dude, I mean, sure. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, think about it. He's taken a team that was 4-12 and 12 the year before he got on. As rookie year, everyone said that team might be be 0 and 16, and they went, you know, 8 and 8 or 9, 8 and 8, I think, 8 and 8 that year, made the playoffs. He's, all, he's made the playoffs every year he's been a pro. Um, you know, like you said, he doesn't play a lot of great games, but he he can manage a team that has a lot of weapons. The problem is, yep. you have to stack that team with weapons. And what we saw last Sunday is when those weapons aren't there, he's not going to put the team on your back, on his back. <laughs> no. No, he's not. Uh, well, the term I've always used is restrict your play quarterback. Um, ben Albright uses the term quarterback purgatory. And uh, when, you've got, when you've got Alex Smith, when you've got Kyle Orton, when you've got Andy Dalton, you aren't going to go 4-12. and 12. You're not going to go 2-10 and 10 or 2-14. and 10, 2 and 14. You're not going to get blown out a lot even. You're going to stay in a lot of games. You're going to win some games 19-17 to 17 and 20-16 uh, you know, and – 24 to 20, and you're going to probably even make the playoffs sometimes if you have enough talent surrounding. The problem comes when you say, wow, hey, minute and 22 seconds, we need a touchdown, you know, we have one timeout, let's do this thing. That's not – it doesn't usually work out for that guy. Right. The, the, the restrictor plate quarterback, um, it's a racing term. I don't know how many people know about NASCAR or whatever, but the restrictor plate – was supposed to make racing safer on certain tracks by bringing down the ability of the cars to, to hit top speed. And a restrictor blade quarterback, you know, makes you feel safe as a certain kind of coach because he doesn't do certain things. He doesn't try to slam the ball in there and double cover and stuff like that. But he also can't do some things that a top, top, top quarterback can do. Coaches, and, coaches love it, though, because they can't get okay. fired. <laughs> yes. I guess that's why they love the restrictor plate quarterback. That's why guys like Alex Smith will always have a job. While Kyle Orton, you know, if he didn't retire, there'd be a bidding war for his services. I mean, there will always be a place for that guy in the league because right. of that. He gives he gives defensive-minded coaches, particularly in warm fuzzy. And, you know, restrictor plate quarterbacks have won Super Bowl. I mean, Brad Johnson is the patron saint of restrictor plate quarterback, right? He hoisted the Lombardi. Uh, yes, Ian Delfer hoisted the Lombardi and he acquired two of the greatest defenses of all time to do it. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, you do need to have a great, either a terrific level of offense 
I mean, people forget that Josh, Jeff Hostetler has, you know, people mm-hmm. always talk about, well, you got to have a you got to have a great quarterback. No, no, you don't. You do not have to have a great quarterback. Jeff Hostetler, baby. Jeff Hostetler. I mean, you just need Otis to have. Otis Anderson won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Dilfer. Right. Right, right. And Dilfer is the one that people always go to. But people forget Dilfer was, a, what, the third pick overall. I mean, people didn't know he was a strict quarterback. When he came out, he was supposed to be a stud. You know, the yeah. guy set all these records and, you know, was a big, strong kid. Um, coming out of Fresno, but the I remember Dilfer as a, as a prospect. I'm probably one of the few people who actually remember seeing him play in college, and he was extremely polished. Actually, uh, you know, one of the first of the Tedford quarterbacks that people talked about was was Dilfer, and uh, obviously not long after him, you had the Kyle Bowlers and others come along. But you know, the guy that sort of kicked off the whole Tedford quarterback train to the NFL was Trent Dilfer, and you know, a guy that set all these records and, you know, high football IQ, all the things you look for, a big, strong guy. Now, he didn't have a great arm. He was a big, strong guy, but his arm was kind of average. Uh, that was a sort of weird dichotomy. He looked the part, but he didn't have this great arm. But he was very polished, great in the interview room, could go on the chalkboard and whatever, you know, and say, okay, we're going dead quarter, quarter, half coverage. Now he's on that same set of, of routes that he would make all the right adjustments and, you know, what was the corner cat blitz? He'd make the right adjustments. He, you know, knew how to have the right guy do what, fly coverage, all that good stuff. And so it's always hard when you want to find a quarterback, but you don't know what your team is. Like, if you know what your team is, it's easy. Hey, if your team is all about throwing the ball deep down the field, then you need a Dan Fouts, you need a Ken Stabler, you need, you know, that guy who's got the big arm and is kind of, you know, kind of devil may care and, you know, he'll throw two interceptions, but then he'll throw another deep ball for a touchdown and swagger off the field. If that's what your team is. But people don't build teams like that very much nowadays. There are very few teams really like to throw the ball deep. I mean, the, the, the Chargers, I guess, it's sort of ingrained in their DNA, still like to do it. A few other teams uh, really like to do it. But a lot of teams don't even like to throw the ball deep. I mean, they, they don't like it. They'll do it if they have to, but you can tell they don't look forward to it. It's not something they want to do. There's a handful of teams, the Colts, these to mind, that want to throw the ball deep. They want to, hey, let's play this bad fella. Um, the Falcons, to a certain extent. The Bears should have been that team, but they weren't. If you look at the way they're built, you would think that's what they were, but let me assure you, that's not. They have a big, strong, you know, not that big, but strong arm quarterback. They have huge receivers, good num- good amount of team speed on offense, but they didn't stretch the field. So, so much of what we talk about, and, you know, we spent more time on quarterbacks than I thought we would, but so much of what we talk about when we talk about quarterbacks, I mean, it starts, well, I'll just once again defer to Bill Walsh. She said, he starts with feet. So, first you have to be able to execute the footwork because you can't be accurate if you don't have the footwork. You can't be on time if you don't have the footwork. Uh, you can't do anything if you don't have the footwork. He said feet first, start there. And then he went to head, you know, feet head. You know, so he went feet head. And then, you know, you got to be able to learn it. So you got to have the feet. And he said, you know, heart. And then he got the arm like around fourth or fifth thing. You know, he, he felt like he could win with a guy. Who didn't I mean, Montana, Montana didn't have a great arm. Young had an above average arm. Um, Montana's arm was purely average. You know, Jeff Garcia, though, you know, Walsh had moved on, but it was still the same offensive philosophy. He had a below average arm and managed to be very good in that system. You, you have to figure out what your team is. 
And right now, you know, we've banged away at the Bengals. But right now the Bengals are a power running team, or at least is what they are built to be. I'll put it that way. And, you know, Hugh Jackson's committing to, you know, to, to Hill, and they're going to run downhill, and Jeremy Hill's going to get a chance to be a 1,200-yard back next year if he can stay healthy because that's what they want to do. And, and, and they'll get, you know, 800 or so, you know, 800 to 1,000 total yards between, you know, receiving and, and rushing out of, out of um, Bernard as well. And they'll throw to the tight end, and they'll throw to the backs, and they'll occasionally go off play action to A.J. Green deep and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what they kind of want. I mean, you Jackson comes from the Raiders, for those who forgot, you know. So that's his DNA as a, as a play caller. But unfortunately, he doesn't have his Daryl LaMonica. I mean, that's not what Andy Dalton's strengths are. They passed on him. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> yeah, and Mettenberger. They got A.J. McCarron instead. Stop it. Stop it. You know, you know who they had, and they picked out, they picked Dark West Dennard, who's okay, but Derek Carr on that team, forget it. It's over. I mean, yeah, even if he well. wasn't going to be the guy this year, they could have let. Oh man! I mean, for, as a as a as a team who's a fan of a, somebody else in that division, I thank God they passed on Derek Carr. But it's just looking at the pure fit of that offense and what they could be what with having be. that two-headed monster, that offensive line, and then having a guy like A.J. Green and Mobbins and all those guys getting passes from somebody who could really throw the ball. I mean, it, it was just perfect. And I, they, they passed on it for a fourth corner. Yep, correct. Well, I think, too, they – why it's the QB purgatory that Marvin Lewis is comfortable with the Andy because he knows he's never going to go out there and throw him up four wins in a season and get himself fired. Knows Marvin Lewis not is going the do that. man in the world. You've got to understand how insane it is to work in Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Mike Brown knows that Dalton's not going to get him a four-win season where he doesn't sell the stadium out and make his money. So they're going to commit to him and, and hope that the fan base uh, sticks around when they keep making the playoffs and losing. Um, but, you know, as a Bengals fan, I mean, if Dalton doesn't do it this year, that contract is friendly enough that after this year they can just walk away, and I hope that they do. Uh, whether that be they draft somebody this year where they give A.J. McCarron the keys of the car for a year so that he can lose some games and we can get a good, cute quarterback. <laughs> uh, I don't care. But you just can't. Nine and seven, baby. Let's ten go. and six. Do what? So let's go. The McClipboard era. Let's ride. <laughs> right. He's got big hands. <laughs> yeah. He's got championships. He won, knows how to win games. That's, I mean, that's all the Bengals <laughs> blogs talk about. He's got championships. Put him in. I'm just like, he's watched the film. He's like, <laughs> he's like Andy Dalton with less, less skill. Ultimate. He's <laughs> ultimate Andy Dalton. Like, if you had a science experiment to create Ooh, the greatest Andy Dalton imaginable. Well, he's got a soul. 
I still kind of feel like he's not that good of an – he's not a very good athlete either. Like, I was watching throw at the combine, and I'm like, where's the where's the muscle on this guy? Like, does he, you know, does he work out? Uh, does, he, does he lift, <laughs> you know? Bro, and then bro, he, was standing, he was standing pigeon-toed, too. Like, he, I think he's kind of pigeon-toed or slew-footed. One of the two where your feet don't – you know, they point in opposite directions when you're just chilling, standing there. Like, it's kind of concerning, <laughs> you know? You're like – I just drafted some dude to come off the couch. Basically, you know, there are people on the couch watching football better than shape than McCarron, or at least when I saw him at the combine. Like, no, he he's, just, he's not ripped. No, AJ McCarron is not ripped. He's and I figure that's the, the least you can do. Yeah, that's the least you could do is try to be a gym rat, you know, and that's that's kind of why I didn't – I knew that in terms of arm strength he had a ways to go, but I still kind of respected David Fales uh, about as much or more, probably more than I did – uh, McCarron, because he was a gym rat. I mean, the guy is six two, six three, but that frame is is growing, and and it was uh, you could tell just the way it was on him. He had a very lean build, not a lot of fat sitting there, and uh, you know, and he had the just a, a lot better stature than McCarron, and he threw harder. Which I mean, it goes back good. to the their whole thing, though. It's it's Mike Brown doesn't want to ever have a four win season. So if Andy Dalton goes down, what's better to replace him than any version of him? The clone, bring in the clone and make sure that we keep winning eight games a year. Yeah, it, it, when you commit to yeah, what we call it, have the trifecta. <laughs> when you commit to quarterback purgatory, you, as we said, you have to build your team a certain way, you have to have certain expectations, and you can talk about winning championships, but you can't really mean it. <laughs> you just, I mean, everything has to go completely correct if you live in quarterback purgatory to win a championship. You know, we talked about the, the Ravens. I mean, everything, everything has to the right. Their defense has to basically allow, like, an average of, like, 11.5 points a game, basically, or something along those lines. You've got to have this great special teams. Like, everything else has to be awesome. And even then, it's a dicey proposition. You know, so you're you're saying to yourself, okay, yeah, you're right. We, we won't get blown out. We won't absolutely stink. But we can't go. We can win ten or eleven games, and as you said, we can lose in the playoffs. At some point, you either decide to blow it up and start over again, and it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, it may be three years from now. Who knows how long it'll be? I mean, as we pointed out, Marvin Lewis is now the second longest tenured um, coach in the NFL, second to a guy. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. <laughs> second to a guy named Belichick. So he's, you know, he's doing. Something right, and they've managed to keep this gig. And he's Vince Lombardi in Cincinnati. <laughs> he's the Vince Lombardi of Cincinnati. Well, no, 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 he is not. <laughs> he, is. he is. You're not. You must not be old enough to remember Bruce Cosler, Dick LeBeau, or whichever Shula was there. That's how far. That far away from being back. Oh, I know. I'm just saying that the fan base doesn't doesn't regard him as like. The end all be all, and then everyone so, kind of worries. Like, if he leaves, what happens? We, we'll go. We'll end up being three and thirteen again, and we'll have Dave Shula come in and be the worst <laughs> young coach to ever get hired. And then we'll draft David Klingler, and then follow that up with Keely Smith, and all the other things I've been tortured through my whole life. <laughs> well, that, the that's thing. the thing. I mean, if you the the the, the Bengals were one bad knee injury away from potentially having a Super Bowl. I mean, to me, Marvin Lewis isn't the problem. I understand what people have issues with it, but the fact is, he went from having 
I never liked Jay Gruden, but let's let's say two head coaches as coordinators. He's got at least one more head coach at some point. Hugh Jackson will get another job because he's very very good. The right. other guy they've got is 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 an up and comer. I mean, he, he may eventually get a, a shot at a head coaching job. I mean, that place is a fantastic environment to develop coaches, and it's all just it's Dalton. At the end of the day, it's just Andy Dalton. Yeah, I mean, the year that Carson blew his knee out, that team was not going to get beat by many teams. They were so good, and Chris Hendry was like, before he was in trouble, and he just caught everything, and he was the first, one of the first, you know, that they'd seen in a long time with that kind of blend of speed and size and catchability, and he was a perfect fit, because they would just run the play, run the ball the first two downs, run play action, and just throw it long to the Henry, Chad Johnson, or Chad Ochocinco, or Johnson, who knows what his name was at that point, or TJ. <laughs> TJ was the dump off, but the Bengals are the last team that really set a QB is in timing. They took Carson number one overall and then just yep. sat him the yep. entire year. They're probably yep. that's the last one I can remember that sat him the full year no matter what. Which is what would have made either Carr or Bridgewater made all the sets in the world because they've done it before. They have Ginger Kitna sitting there ready to hand it off to another quarterback, and they, they passed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, here's the thing, and it's funny. You should mention Kitna to give Restricted Blake quarterback. You, you have in, in Dalton a guy who can put up numbers. He can pass for 4,000 yards. In fact, somebody put up a little blind taste test of the first, you know, four seasons or whatever, or three seasons of, of two quarterbacks that said, you know, which one's Peyton Manning, which one's Andy Dalton. The one with the better numbers was actually Andy Dalton. But uh, there's a big difference is that, well, two big differences. One is that Dalton came into a situation where he, you know, basically parachuted to some extent into a situation where they really could build around him in a way that you could win championships. And Peyton went to a situation where they were finishing destroying that franchise, basically, to build it up. Uh, and the other big difference, obviously, is that the game has changed. I mean, even in the years between those two, they've continued to liberalize what the offense can get away with and keep cracking on what the defense can get away with. And the other thing that, of course, jumps at you is what happened in the three years after that. Peyton went from being you know, a good young quarterback to you know, maybe the best quarterback in the league, that's a jump that I simply obviously Andy Dalton can't make. He the, the Andy Dalton you see now is the Andy Dalton that you will see until he eventually gets to the point where his physical skills start to decline. So this is as good as he's going to be. There isn't more. There he's at he's at he has the ultimate Dalton, I guess is what Jim Cobra would say it with you in Karen. But he's a guy who could be a really high level backup for a long time in this league. And can win, you know, if your if your starter goes down. And I don't hate it. I mean, I'm I'm not someone who thinks he should be destroyed or something. But it's just that if he's your quarterback, if he's your starting quarterback, he's your quote-unquote franchise quarterback. Your franchise can only go so far. That's the thing. That's him to take the state to take the the term I use for strict play quarterback. Um, wow, we spent more time on quarterbacks than I ever planned to. And David, of course, had to run, which is fine. I knew he had to duck out. He, he let me know that. Uh, thank you, David, for joining us. Uh, I'm going to jump to some of the bowl games themselves and talk about guys that I expect to 
and one couple have already mentioned them. Um, somebody may mention already of uh, of Mr. Bonner of CSU Pueblo and his. I'd like to see what his exact measurements are and what he measures in, but you know he's listed at six seven. It's probably going to end up being you know six six and three eight or whatever. But hey, that's more than enough. And uh, his weight will be important to list. And if he's weighed by my guess, he's probably slightly less than that. Maybe greater than four. And he probably will be more. I mean, he's got clearly some frame to go out there. He probably is sizing to playing in a level with him. Playing Canada, um, you know, maybe they can develop him there in the CFL or something like that. Uh, he's way—I mean, I don't—I don't really—I don't, really, don't really get it. I know that he can make some interesting throws. Uh, he's obviously flashed some potential to do that, and he's a big, tall guy. But the one thing I keep telling people is Logan Thomas was a better quarterback prospect than Brandon yeah. Bridge. Uh, it's a fact. Uh, everybody hated Logan Thomas last year, so. <laughs> Uh, you're going to – and people who hated him are on the Brandon Bridge train. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of appeal because he's unknown. He's a secret yep. little quarterback, right? Air of mystery, yeah. Little, yeah, air of mystery about him. Uh, and the mystery is out, man. The tape's there. Uh, I He's way too underdeveloped. Uh, throws way too many interceptions. Uh, didn't really play in an offense that really threw the ball around a ton either. Uh, you know, and I understand a lot of people don't really care about that stuff, but I kind of do just because he – in the limited times he was able to throw the football, it nothing – not a lot of good stuff happens is the best way to put it. So I'm just not eh, – eh, you know, I, and in terms of where I have him, uh, he's an undrafted free agent. Yeah, there's interesting – stuff, but more likely than not, we'll probably not hear about him again in four years. You know, So either he ends up on a team, hangs around for about four years, and then he's out, or goes to the CFL, and maybe he develops, or maybe he doesn't develop, or goes to the arena football, you know, something like that. But as far as – and even then, there's arena quarterbacks that could throw better than him and work consistently. So um, it's just that situation. He's just really not that great of a prospect. He's all physical stuff, uh, and his development is, uh, yeah, I, people who say fourth round, I, 
I know this is a bad I know this is a bad quarterback class. Don't get me wrong. Right. I, I get that, but that's no reason to take a guy like that when you have players at other positions that can actually help you instead of hanging out on your practice squad. Okay. Um, I'll uh, I'll bring Cody in. I don't know how much you got a chance to check out uh, Air Canada. Uh, he first began to generate some buzz. I saw him a little bit last year, and I thought him, you know, interesting. But you know, once again complete long-term project. And then he opens some people's eyes at the Manning Passing Academy, and all of a sudden the the buzz on Air Canada began to sort of build. And uh, I spotted him actually last year while checking out his H-backy tight end, the you know, favorite target, a kid named Wes Saxon that I do really like. And I've heard some people get super excited about him and talk about him with the mid-round draft pick. Uh, where are you on Brandon Bridge? Um, admittedly, I haven't uh, haven't watched them. I um, have started on the defensive side this year, so I've been focusing on linebackers and uh, corners and defensive ends because um, I know the Bengals aren't going to take a quarterback. <laughs> so I I haven't uh, d- dived into uh, QB prospects in the, in the sense of that, that matter, um, but. Um, so yeah, I can't really uh, bring anything to the table as far as him. Um, okay. But you know, going from what we've seen from Project Quarterbacks, if he is what you say, I, I just don't see. I'm with. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but you can't just adjust your board because of need and, and lack of depth at a position. You have your. You should rank the players based on score. And you know, if he scores off your draftable list, it doesn't matter if you need five players in that position, if they're not draftable, you just got to draft the best player available. When you reach, you end up getting players that can't play in the NFL. Right. Good point. Uh, Montel, same question to you. Uh, what do you think of, of Mr. Uh, Air Canada, Mr. Brandon Bridge, and, you know, what kind of, what are things you've seen about it? What things, what are things you like that you still like? I'm just not a very big fan. I, you know, three quarters release. I mean, that really yeah. needs to be fixed. It, it's really weird, uh, but you know, I, I just think it, James hit it on it. Air Canada, send him over there, develop him. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I'd be really desperate. Just invite him to camp. I mean, and maybe see if he can make a team. If you feel like some NFL snaps might help him, but I, even then, I mean, you've, you've got to have a, a pretty clean slate of tasks uh, going into training camp if you think you want to spend some time developing this guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it just shows you how poorly this class is put together because of uh, the fact that we're even discussing this guy. <laughs> He's just not ready, man. He's just not ready. Uh, I want him to succeed. And, and, and you know, the, he does flash a few wild plays, but, yep. you know, there's no, nothing that, that shows you that he can do it every down or at least every game. You know, just every quarterback, uh, even in this class, those that are spoken highly of anyway, have something they can hang their hat on, and I'm, uh, I still don't quite have that with him. Okay. And last but not least, Pete Smith. Um, have you a chance to check out Landon Bridge, Mr. Eric Canada himself? He's fun. I mean, you're never you're never yeah. bored watching nope. uh, watching him play. I mean, I, I, I'm curious how much of that is the allure, the fact that if you tune into a Southern Alabama game, you sort of know it's going to be exciting. Uh, but in the same set, you know, even at the collegiate level, I, I, I think of him in the same way as Johnny Manziel. He's more fun to rent than he is to own. 
you'd love to you know love to watch him play. You don't want him you don't want him playing for your team. Uh, but my question with him is so much: how much of you know some of these seemingly insane deep ball decisions are him, or how many of them are called? Because like in the bowl game. Yep. He was chucking it. It doesn't – I mean, it's not like he even – he's th- even thinking about going anywhere else. It's just he down the field. I mean, in that respect, he's sort of like college's answer to Jeff Blake. You, I mean, you just know he's going to throw it forever and hope for the best. I mean, he can – you know, he can make some nice throws and everything, but you you can't make a living on that. I mean, if, you're, if your jugs machine breaks down, call this guy – but uh, <laughs> I mean, they 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 wanted to showcase this guy, man. I, I think they they called some plays just to just 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 to show what he can do. You know, I I think part of it was the showcase. If you if you I mean, I think he's a guy where you know you he's going to start getting phone calls on day three of the draft, but it's not going to be where he where he'd like to go. It's going to be you know, do you want to come in and be a camp arm, you know, a tryout guy? Uh, in that respect, he'd be a lot of fun. I mean, he'd be he'd be great if he's you know if he gets to be one of the the combine throwers. I mean, that'd be fun from that standpoint. But in terms of a quarterback, I mean, he's like he's like a a water balloon slingshot. It's just you know where you know it's going deep. You just don't know what it's going to. So I mean, no. And I agree with the Logan Thomas thing. In that respect, it is a lot of things. A lot of that and. And Logan Thomas was, you know, had no touch whatsoever among the other issues, and he threw every ball a thousand miles per hour. And watching him throw on Mobile, you were worried he was going to hurt somebody uh, with one of these passes. He had no room for error. And then, you know, suddenly we get to the nitty gritty of the season. All these people want Logan Thomas to play, and he can't beat out Ryan Lindley for like 17th quarterback on the Arizona roster. I don't know how. Brandon Bridge is going to figure figure a way onto a roster. Uh, like I said, he he could be a camp arm, but he's either going to have to go to a different league uh, or some sort of weird long shot contest or, or find another line of work. Yeah, well, I think the quote unquote best case scenario for him is to be an undrafted free agent, may even be practice squatted. Let's just throw a team out there. Let's say Pittsburgh you know, with no immediate need at quarterback and not thrilled with their backups who say, could this guy be better than our number two or our number three in a couple of years? And the answer is at least maybe. Uh, And you take a shot. And maybe the kid gets better. But it's a big maybe. And it's based on complete speculation. And if he gets better, you keep him around. If he doesn't, you let him go. I'm going to throw out a couple more sort of uh, quarterbacks that maybe aren't not everybody. I won't spend much time on Bo Wallace, but there are Bo Wallace adherents out there. And no, there aren't. <laughs> he, he has a certain amount of size. Someone's out there going, man, I want Bo Wallace to play for my team. Ole Miss isn't even on that boat anymore. <laughs> He could look. If you're honest with yourself, I don't. I don't think Bo, Bo Wallace could start if he had another year at Ole Miss. That being said, <laughs> there are people who say he gets drafted, and I can't 100% rule it out. 
He played in an SEC program. He had some good games. He's got a certain amount of size. He's a reasonably good athlete. Has a strong arm, a reasonably strong arm. Uh, now, the downside he is Bo Wallace. He is exactly Everything else. He is, he's exactly the kind of guy. He, sadly, Bo Wallace was born about 45 years too late, or maybe more than 45 years too late. He would have been great in the old AFL. He would have been a pretty good AFL player. If he had broken into the AFL in 1966, he'd be playing against the Daryl LaMonicos and and, you know, I mean, he would be out there against George Blanda and Jack Kemp, and he'd be out there slinging it. When, hey, if you were 48% on completions, that was fine. But you're acting like 17.2 yards of completion. You know, he, he was just born too late. Uh, this, this era of completing passes at a 60-some percentile rate at the NFL level has undone poor Bo Wallace. But... Uh, I'll start with you, Jim Cobert, since you're the one that brought up Bo Wallace originally. Um, when you're evaluating a guy like Bo Wallace, what are the strengths and weaknesses you've noticed about him? Strengths? Okay, uh, let me think. He's uh, well, kind of tall. Um, yep. He's kind of athletic, kind sort of. Uh, he has a big arm and can make some interesting throws at times. Yep. Other than that, uh, there's no brain up there. Um, <laughs> one of the main things that Ole Miss did a really good job of with Bo Wallace was uh, very pre-snappy re-type plays. Get the ball, throw two spot. 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 Uh, and occasionally... He made a couple good reads uh, at times. Uh, And there was a couple, I mean, the Alabama game is probably the best game to showcase that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's about about it, man. The mechanics have always been terrible. Certain times he's made balls that just the release and uh, the footwork was so bad that the ball literally just died midair and hit the dirt. Uh, He has there's just nothing about him that screams um, knowledge of offense other than here's the play, run it. Uh, and on top of that, he always stares down. I mean, that was the one, biggest issue with the Alabama game to me. He stared down the majority of his passes during that game. It's just no Alabama defender actually turned their head around to see where he was looking about to, to throw. So. It was, it was like just turn your head around and look where he's throwing because he most of the time will show you exactly where he's throwing to, and what he has a history of doing is throwing way too many interceptions because either it's a poorly thrown ball or he's just staring down a receiver because that's that's all he can do. He's just not a very well developed quarterback when it comes to post progression um, reads, and he has shown some. Uh, some ability to do that, but uh, he's just terrible. He's bad. I mean, he can just, uh, you know, grandma scouting, Bill? When you talk about grandma scouting? What about grandma scouting, yes. He's like the tops of that uh, in terms of quarterback. Where you, Your grandma would watch him and go, man, he's, this Bo Wallace guy sucks. They should put the other guy in. <laughs> um, you know that mother at football games that yells and screams and goes, put my boy in, put Sam in, the other guy sucks. 
that 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 would be he would be watchable wallet. Uh he's just I mean, there is interesting stuff about him. Interesting, but he's never been a quarterback. Going into this year, then you know, last year was terrible. This year he had some highlights, bow lights or whatever you want to call them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but for the most part, he's way too inconsistent. The footwork, the mechanics are terrible. And uh, overall, he's just bad. Different degrees of bow So <laughs> I just uh, – I don't know what else to say. I mean, people like him because of his athleticism, and he played in the SEC, and um, he's white and uh, kind of tall. But overall, uh, I just have not uh, – never been a bow uh, fan. And, you never been a bow weaver? I've never been a bow lever. I, I didn't go out and buy and get, I didn't be like Donovan James and go out and buy a bunch of bow nose T-shirts, you know, <laughs> uh, try to sell them this year. <laughs> At the beginning of the year, he, he probably sold a lot, but towards the end of the year, he lost money on that investment. So uh, the bottom line is I I, I just – he, to me, Greg Allen's an undrafted free agent as well, uh, and uh, that's kind of a common theme. I only have about like maybe eight guys that are – draftable, at least a quarterback. Uh, so, and he didn't make the list, so that, that's all I can really say. All right. Uh, same question. Uh, Cody, I don't know how much of Bo Wallace you may have watched, uh, but what are some of the things you've noticed about him, and what do you think the future holds for Mr. Wallace? Um, I'm, I'm with him there. I think he's going to end up being undrafted. I think the two biggest knocks on him are when you look at the SEC play this year and how it's down compared to years past and its dominance, and then I think a, a play that shows <clears throat> Bo Wallace in a nutshell is the in the bowl game TCU he's in the he's in the you know end zone feels pressure and just lobs the ball five feet in front of him for a guy to catch for a, a touchdown when in the NFL he's obviously going to get pressured he has to be able to react to that. Even if you take a safety, it's better than just throwing the ball up in the air and letting someone uh, score on you. In the NFL, that's a backbreaker. Points are a premium. Even if you give up two, you give up two to save five more. That's what you have to do. And, and his like, and I think he touched on it there. His awareness is so bad, and just being aware of game situation and, and that a safety in that point in the game doesn't finish you off in the in the touchdown dot. You know, that was pretty much the dagger at that point. And, you know, a safety, at least you can kick off, hope you get a stop, and, and be something at that point three scores down. Instead, you're four scores down, and everyone on your team is now thinking about getting out of that game and opening their goodie bag and getting all their toys out of it from the boy, from the ball game. You know, that was the pretty much the dagger that just finished them off. And I think that kind of speaks to his ability in a nutshell. Yeah, he might do some things for you, but and when the when the when the cards all start stacking up against him, he collapses. So I I mean I can't see him. I mean I I wouldn't be surprised if a team took him in the seventh round just to gain the right to him. And his phone's gonna go his phone's gonna go crazy in the seventh round because teams are gonna be texting him saying, hey, if you don't get drafted, call us first. Hey, if you don't get drafted, we want to bring you in. But Right. I mean, he's not – if a team takes him, it's going to be late in the seventh, like a seventh-round comp pick or something, just to keep right. the rights to him. Right. That makes sense. 
But um, but I got to jump off here too. I got to head out for dinner. But uh, that's appreciate fine. chatting with you guys. Well, and, well, before uh, you before you run off, tell people where they can find your work and where they can follow you. Um, so he, my um, Twitter handle is at uh, Kodakai C O D I K I, and then um, my website feeds is uh, NFLDraftLab.com. Excellent. And is the site live yet, or is it going live in the near future? Uh, it re- reroutes to my uh, WordPress blog right now, so it's it's live. If you put it in, it'll go to my blog, and then the the, the full site should get up soon. Oh, perfect. Okay, great. Well, thank you, and uh, Cody. Obviously, I want to get you back on talk about your impressions of the NFL PA Bowl. And like I said, look up my my boy Juan McDavid, aka Rennie. He will take very good care of you. The guy is amazing. I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely be back on after that and uh, give you my takes on uh, the guys I see there. Perfect. Okay, talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Montel Hardy, and I get, I didn't get my my usual intro for you, but obviously. Ain't no probably like a Monta Hardy party because the Monta Hardy party all stop. My voice is shot, sadly. Um, all this time. Give us your favorite bow memories. Oh, God. My favorite. Okay, my favorite bow memory. I'm so glad you asked me that because as soon as you asked us what I thought his best pro prospect would be, I instantly thought of the LSU game where, I mean, Hugh Freeze took the, 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 the fall for this, or at least media-wise, but the truth was he called literally what I thought to be a foolproof play. It was a design rollout to the left side. He's got a short option. He's got a deep option. Bow rolls left. And the and the reason why this rollout is so perfect is because he doesn't take the sack. You know, you can always throw it away. You know, because he's out of the pocket, so you can you can avoid the sack, which doesn't kill the clock or compromise your field goal. So he rolls left. He looks at the flat, which I'm not gonna lie, probably was covered. But then you just throw it away. Instead, Bo Wallace says, you know, I'm Bo Wallace. My heart is bigger than my arm, and I'm just gonna sling it 40 yards here and see if I can get the touchdown. And he gets picked off. <laughs> And it's over, and I'm just sitting here like, are you kidding me? Like that, and and you landed on that decision. Bo Wallace is one of the poorest decision makers I've ever seen. And I've said it going into this year, and I'm saying it this year in terms of what his career prospects are going to be. I think with time and maturity, he'll be a solid career backup. But I just I don't know how you can. I mean, and that's something you know as I evaluate quarterbacks, there's something I categorize, and I don't know what to call it yet. But right now, I'll filter it on, you know, a dumb gene, a dumb trait. And and, and the force is strong within Bo Wallace, you know. Like, I don't know how it's the word is other than, you know, you can work on a quarterback here, footwork there, uh, you know, make, maybe, you know, there's some things that are traits. You know, Bill Polian once said accuracy, accuracy is a trait. You know, you either have it or you don't. Obviously, you can improve, but you can improve consistently. So that's what makes it a trait. And I think it'll be the same thing with the decision-making for Bo Wallace, you know. Yeah, you can improve from the game to game. You can be like what James Coburn said, have him throw to a spot. But every game ain't going to be like that. You know, you got to make a read and, and you know, and, and and know and have the knowledge to pick the right decision, know who's open, why they're open, be an anticipation thrower, not a pre-snap read guy, you know. And I just don't have any faith in his ability to do it. Now, would someone take the time and, and, and try? I feel for you, but – you can and and uh, if you want them, I mean, I I'd, even in this draft, I'd say fifth round. But if you want to do it in the fourth, do it in the third, cool, do you. But I wouldn't touch him. And if I did, I'd make it mutually understood that he's being benched for the first probably two years. Yeah, well, and I guess I'll sort of put a bow on bow. 
I, when I say there was a time when he would have been viewed differently, there is a time when he would have been viewed differently. If you look at the the stats, and obviously it was a very different era of guys like Dan Pastorini and even Dan Marino in college, I think the thing that you'll be shocked by is their touchdown-interception ratio and how impressive it isn't, uh, at least by, by modern standards. There was a time when you ran the football and you knew you were taking a risk when you threw the football. So if it didn't work out, you kind of knew, well, we throw the football. You know, things go wrong when you throw the football. Anyway. And the, the way the pass is viewed and used now is very different from 40 or 50 years ago. And so now he has to make it in this era of precision passing, and sadly that is not his thing. Both in a mental and a physical level, he's not precise. It's fuzzy-wuzzy. And he has a certain level of talent. I mean, if you could put, and I, I guess this is the example I always use, but if you could somehow take the spirit and the mind of a guy like Kellen Moore and slap it in the body of Bo Wallace, now you have something. But unfortunately, um, you 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 can't take the you know the the chassis that he has and and put the computer of of somebody like Kellen Moore inside of it, because then you would have a quarterback. You'd have a quarterback that has a, a real shot to become a, a starter for many years in the NFL because you have the decision-making, the anticipatory sense, the ability to read defenses, all that good stuff, in that nice SEC chassis with the quarterback hair. But he just looks like a good quarterback prospect. He isn't one, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple of lesser-known guys, and if you just you know, aren't familiar with them, that's fine. I would recommend you check them out because these guys, especially in this draft year, have a chance to, if not be drafted, will definitely be priority on draft free agent. Another one of the small school guys that can name Kevin Rogers of Henderson State. And, of course, you've had guys on who played Henderson State. In fact, we had a guy that transferred by walking across the street uh, to Henderson State from Washita Baptist. Uh, obviously a Division II program like CSU Pueblo. And some people have Bonner, first number all, number one amongst Division II quarterbacks, some people have Kevin Rogers, number one. But it's either one, either one of those guys. Um, and they're both guys that I think find their way, the very least, like I said, will be priority address free agents with a great, this is why these you know, bowl games didn't make a difference, a, a great bowl game practice week and performance in the game and really good interviews could get where these guys drafted. Um, I'll start with Jim. Have you had a chance to check out Kevin Rogers of Henderson State? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of them. Well, what were your? I know you haven't seen as much as you'd like to see, but what were your impressions from what you did see? Um, I mean, he's all right. I mean, I think he has enough arm. Um, he will definitely be a West Coast type yep. quarterback that teams will like because uh, he's six foot two, two fifteen. Um, that's kind of the ideal. That's the Andy Reid quarterback type, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, other than that, though, in terms of his uh, passing efficiency and uh, lower-level competition, not been that great. Uh, he's uh, – I mean, tape-wise, he does have an arm. He does have some interesting kind of skill sets. But uh, for the most part, that's all I really see. So he's – either you – Either you hate all the quarterbacks from the big conferences and go, let's just take Kevin Rogers. <laughs> like, let's just take this guy. Either you do that uh, and you get a guy that 
uh, either gets it or he doesn't get it. Uh, same thing as kind of Brandon Bridge. Not as bad as Brandon Bridge, but it's a similar situation because, you know, on tape-wise, tape he, he does have a, enough arm strength. He does have, uh, you know, he's not undersized or anything like that. And uh, he can throw a football, you know, reasonably well, you know, in terms of accuracy and stuff like that. But um, there's nothing that was tr- particularly tremendously uh, outstanding about him, 100%. And uh, for the most part, because he is playing from a low-level competition uh, in the last 15 years, uh, not a lot of success from uh, where he played, uh, which you could say it's a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, but it, could, it, it probably is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's a prophecy that teams use. So I have to kind of go by that in terms of predictions, I guess is the best way to put it. So if teams have a bias, I have to at least know what it is. And if I'm someone who hates to be cynical, I'm banking on the bias and teams are going to look at him and go, yeah, he's interesting. And maybe put him on the practice squad for a little bit, but for the most part, I, I would bet against him uh, becoming uh, something significant other than possibly a backup. Yeah. Um, he's my number two, division two quarterback. I have Bonner rated ahead of him partially because of, you know, physical size, which I know. Yeah. He's taller. You know, right. runners taller. So. Right. Even when you're from a quote unquote low low level competition, that can kind of win people over. If Joe last, Flacco, last John Skelton, you know, John Skelton, yeah. very tall white guy, lasted pretty long. Pretty right. Long if Joe, right. If Joe Flacco's six foot and a half and two hundred and eight pounds, he doesn't get drafted. But <clears> but because he has the size and and there's that sense that he, you know, at least was originally in a big-time program at Pitt before he transferred, that's sort of where he couldn't beat out Tyler Palco. But it at least helped him to, you know, to, to get a certain amount of respect from scouts that a guy who starts and ends his career at Division II has a, a harder time attaining. Uh, Montella, have you had a chance to check out Mr. Rogers at Henderson State yet? Say that one more time. Have you had a chance to check out uh, quarterback prospect Kevin Rogers of Henderson State as of yet? I have not. I have not. Well, he's worth, I mean, if there's, not that I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm ruling out other Division II quarterbacks, but if there are two Division II quarterbacks that you pay attention to, one would be Chris Bonner in my mind. Number one is Chris Bonner, and number two is, is Kevin Rogers and I can, like I said, those are the guys that I know that scouts have paid the most attention to of all the Division II quarterbacks. And there are a few FCS quarterbacks that I think will get a shot as well. The and this is once again where things like the Senior Bowl and things like uh, you know Medal of Honor and things like uh, East West and NFLPA game and other things have. This is where they have such an important role, especially for these guys especially for the guys that don't automatically have scouts at five of their practices every year. You know, if you go to LSU, five times a year a scout's going to be at your practice. Um, Question for you, Pete. Have you had a chance to check out either uh, Bonner or Henderson as of yet? Nope. I have avoided the quarterback position this year like grim death. Okay. <laughs> it's just not. I mean, it's just not fun. It's it's painful to watch this year. Yeah, I. Here's what I will. 
say about um, about the last two guys uh, that we just mentioned is that there's there's some stuff uh, to those guys. I mean, obviously, it's not an ideal year for quarterbacks. I think we've all agreed that this, if you are a desperate need of quarterbacks, if you pick this year to go into the draft to find one, you know, good luck. And like I said, there are people who talk about Mariota as a slam dunk success who, you know, can't miss prospect or whatever. And even, uh, uh, I mean, we'll see. And maybe they're right. Maybe I'm, you know, concerned about the wrong things or overly concerned about the right things or maybe I'm just being a nervous Nelly. But, you know, I don't see him as being a guy that's an automatic success. And then in Winston, you know, obviously it's been discussed. He's immature in a couple of different important ways. Um, we talked about Petty a little bit, and we talked about, well, Cook is coming back to school. So, you know, we we did talk about Hunley, and Prescott hasn't declared either, as last I checked at least. Is he, has that changed since the last time I checked? I don't think it has. And that's another guy who would be, you know, a, a massive project. Uh, I'll, I'll start with a couple of the guys. Mannion is a guy that I was pretty high on at the end of the season. I've cooled a bit on him. I still think he's a guy that could be a high-end backup uh, and do, you know, do well, particularly if he's in the right kind of, of system or situation. Um, let's talk about the captain. Let's talk about Shane Cart. Uh, I'll open with you, Montel. What are your impressions of one Mr. Shane Cart, the captain? Uh, my impression of, you say Shane Carden? Shane Carden, the captain. Captain Carden from East Carolina. Yar. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually, I kind of, I kind of like him. I mean, you know, this quarterback class is, is difficult to evaluate and stuff like that. But one thing I liked was, uh, well, a, I mean, people forget that for the early part of the season, people were talking about him, uh, you know, being in the mix is is one of those guys, you know, who could really boost the stock you know, high into uh, day two. Um, I, I like some of the things he was able to do. Uh, his bill, you know, he's 6'2", a little, I mean, I guess statistically, right, 6'3", the height and looking for a quarterback, so he's um, shorter there. But um, he can he can flash some impressive accuracy from time to time. And he's also faced some very stiff competition. I mean, he plays at ECU, but, you know, he's, he's seen North Carolina. I believe he's seen South Carolina. Um, so he, he's, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I guess the team that played him the toughest, maybe, I mean, and I have to double check, the team that played him the toughest was the Temple Owls, <laughs> believe it or not. And that was kind of the team that, you know, kind of shut him down. But overall, I think he's in okay. I mean, in this quarterback uh, class, I think he fits right towards whatever the middle is, whatever middle of the pack is. I think that's where you put him. Uh, I don't hate him. I think I think he can do some things. I mean, I think if you're in the middle rounds, if you're late day two, early day three, and you say we want to get a guy, but you know we don't want Bo Wallace, we don't want someone who's uh, you know uh, going to frustrate us down the road. I think I think Shea Card is a solid round four prospect, round four, round five guy. I like him, and, and so I like some of his production at ECU, and uh, I think he's got some of the tools you need. Um, or at least you're looking for, out of a mid-round quarterback. And I think he's got something you can build on. Uh, but obviously he doesn't have as high a ceiling as, you know, all the other guys, your Grayson's, your Petty's, your Hunley's. Uh, ceiling in that high, but he can play. And so, like, in, in all seriousness, if you're a team like 
looking to bring in, you know, just a, just a guy to have, maybe develop, uh, why not Shane And I think he can find himself in a, uh, like a Drew Stanton-like role, a guy who comes in quietly for about a year or two, and then, oh, huh, he's spot starting for six or seven games because so-and-so tore his ACL and he's playing pretty good, you know. I think he'll be one of those guys. Okay. Um, so, Pete, are you are you now passing on quarterback questions at this point forward, or, or have you checked out Shane Carton at all? Oh, I've watched Shane Carton because I've been enjoying the Justin Hardy getting the ball from him. But the the, the issue I, I have with Carton is his delivery to me is slow. Uh, he he not only is it slow, but he tends to stare down targets. And I think he may be a guy who looks good, uh, you know, just throwing balls on air. But I think when he gets to seven on seven, some of these other drills are, are full team. I think guys are going to pick on him, and I think he's going to throw some interceptions. He, uh, I think he's, I, I think the ball comes out too slow, and I think uh, the the delivery is going to be a problem. I mean, if he can clean that up, that that then he's then he's interesting. Certainly, he has a, a substantial amount of experience. Certainly, he has he's been in games and, and led drives where you know he's he's brought ECU back in, in, in that conference, and, and he certainly understands what it's like to be in some of these late-game competitive environments because ECU is the team this year that just refused to be boring uh, with with some of the way, ways their game ended, both both in favor and and with heartbreak for them. But, uh, I mean, I think there's a reason Cardin ended up at ECU as opposed to a, as a bigger program. I'll be curious to see what it looks like in person if he's been trying to shorten it up. But to me, I just it, it's just not – I don't think it's quick enough coming out or in terms of zip uh, with, with his arm. Okay. And Mr. Coburn, what are your impressions of Shane Card? Uh, well, I mean, as far as the prospect goes, I, I really I think he's tough. Um, I think that he's definitely a leader in leadership qualities and stuff like that. But uh, I kind of agree with Pete that the same issue comes up with him where he does not uh, make a lot of throws uh, that he needs to make. Uh, there's many times where he needs to fit a pass in uh, on a, you know, just in a quarter, just a quarter area of the field, uh, just a, you know, like a little intermediate uh, route here or there, um, they're deep, and he just doesn't have enough arm strength to get it. Or, and a lot of that also just happens to do with the with the delivery as well. Uh, that affects him uh, in many ways because, you know, when he's doing his wide out to throw it, it's very jerky, and, and at times, and um, it's not very consistent. And uh, it's one of those things in terms of his throwing motion and just his mechanics that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it really affects his throws. Uh, I think in terms of teams that will like him, I mean, uh, another again, a West Coast quarterback type uh, guy. You know, Kevin Cobbish sort of uh, – I'm trying to think of some other – Andy Reedish type quarterback um, in many ways because he has the sort of leadership qualities and, uh, and he definitely is uh, a tough guy and all of those other sort of stuff. But uh, in terms of his arm talent and the throws that he's able to make consistently, uh, he just doesn't do it. So I do think that he's 
you know, he's a commendable guy. He's a nice guy. It's just that in terms of the throws he can make consistently, he doesn't make those throws. And uh, that's the bottom line. And I do like him. You know, it's not like I hate him. It's just as a prospect, very limited in terms of those sort of stuff. And um, and that's, you know, about it. It's about it for the most yeah. part. But, uh, yeah. Okay. I'll stay with you for a moment and hit you with the next guy. Uh, where are you on Taylor Kelly, Mr. Coburn? Well, uh, if if I'm going to quote Jake Plummer, said he's a spud. Uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, I guess because he's from Idaho or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Taylor Kelly, you know, again, he's another shorter guy. Similar situation. Uh, definitely tough guy. Uh, tough just because he's such a small guy, you know, like, and he gets hit, uh, and he has had injuries too, but, uh, but he's just someone who uh, is not really the biggest guy per se, but he's tough, he'll stay in there, he'll make some throws, but uh, his, his, you know, it's just really scattershot a lot of times in terms of the throws he's able to make. Uh, a lot of times you get pressure in his face, he's just not able to thread the needle into the places he needs to make it. And um, that's just the bottom line with him, too. Uh, I mean, I remember watching him, and, you know, again, there's interesting stuff about him, of course. And, again, he's another sort of West Coast guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes undrafted, though, um, in this class. Oh, I mean, who knows? Who knows what this quarterback class is going to end up being? But uh, but he's definitely someone that uh, just after viewing him, I'm just like, eh. It's just one of those things where the physical tools don't really match up, and, uh, in terms of the type of offense he plays in as well. Um, I mean, there was a couple things that were interesting about what he was able to do in that particular offense, but at the same time, it was also kind of a spready kind of, you know, get one-on-one matchup type situations. And most of the time, he's just throwing throwing it up to Jalen, you know, Jalen Strong. He just jumps up and gets it type thing. Um, yeah, most, I mean, that was mostly most of the offense for the most part. Not the whole part, but, uh, but the bottom line is I, I don't really – uh, view him as a starter guy. Backup is rich. And that's the other thing, too, is that these, these guys might not even be backups. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's really tough to be a backup in the NFL. Uh, so, uh, as far as him, I don't know. You have to ask Jake Plummer. He, he said he was a spud. So, I guess that's a good thing. But other than that, uh, I I don't really see Taylor Kelly really doing that much in the NFL. Okay. Um, same question to you, Pete Smith. Jim Kelly can play better than he can right now. Well, that was short and sweet. Moving on to Montel. <laughs> Where are you on Taylor Kelly? Uh, James brought up a great point. You know, he's in like a spread option E type of attack. Uh, you know, see, the thing about it, and I guess no one's cared to notice, but when he actually steps into his throws, Kelly can deliver the ball with, you know, pretty pretty decent velocity, dude. Uh, only thing is, you know, he just plays in a system to where you can kind of just sit there and, you know, flick the ball around without having to step into him. But when he actually tries to throw hard, he can throw fairly hard. Uh, with that said, um, you know, the number of things not to be sold about, um, I mean, he's kind of small, you know, uh, and I just mean weight-wise here, you know, kind of slim guy. Um, so I just have injury concerns, obviously, and just, uh, you know, can this guy take hits? And uh, I don't know. But, you know, what I will say is that uh, 
this isn't a guy that I think you maybe draft until – I mean, you might not even draft him, period. I don't think you do, actually. But the uh, positive, when he actually tries to throw hard, he can throw very – you know, not very hard, but above average. I think when he tries, his arm strength is going to be about average to slightly above it. Um, but uh, there's some mechanical things you got to work on if you're going to work with him. And uh, definitely got to work on ball placement, too, on those intermediate and deep balls. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of inconsistent, so it's really troubling there. Um, and that's kind of what uh, James was saying, you know, he'll just throw it up to uh, Jalen, and Jalen will adjust, you know. <laughs> he will adjust and catch it uh, if it's in the neighborhood. But, yeah, not a not a great guy, dude, not a not a great QB. I'm, I'm a lot more enamored with Berkovici. Uh, I think he's got a stronger arm, and I'd really like to see how he'd fare um, in the coming year. But, uh, yeah, no, no to Taylor Cullen. Okay. And I'll stick with you for the moment. I'll go to one. Do you think Nick Marshall gets drafted? Two, do you think he's drafted as a quarterback or as a quote unquote athlete? Well, if you're drafting Nick Marshall, I mean, it's probably quarterback or safety. I mean, maybe receiver. Jeez, uh, this is a mess. Um, when it comes down to it, I mean, you want to, I mean, if we're talking about quarterbacks just being drafted, and, like, we just got done talking about Tanner Kelly, and we brought up uh, what uh, – who did we bring up? We brought up Brandon Bridge earlier, and now we're talking about uh, Nick Marshall. I mean, Nick Marshall, if if I'm going to draft him or take him, I'd see what he can do as a passer. I mean, very undersized as a passer. I know he's about six one, got kind of a lanky build, but I think uh, it, it seems like he, his frame is, you know, building. I was reading an article – going into the fall and his mom said he's eating a lot more and he's picked up a few pounds. You know, he was, used to be 100. I think he's – used to be 200. Now I think he's closer to 215 now. And so um, he's got a very strong arm. Um, yep. He can he can spin it with anyone in his class, really. Like, we're just going to say that. Um, so um, we all know about his agility and speed. I'm not really going to get too much into it because in the NFL it's not that uh, big of a deal. But – in all seriousness, uh, ball explodes out of his hand, dude. When he sets those feet, uh, like I said, there's some mechanical things, some footwork things you got to get going with this guy under center. But um, to me, he's one of the few project quarterbacks in this draft who may actually be worth spending your time on. <laughs> so um, I, I, re- I really like him. Uh, seems like a leader. He shows a lot of uh, great composure on the field. So, uh, he might be one of those guys that, you know, you take and maybe try to develop. I'd say, you know, I, I didn't say Brandon Bridge is worth my time, didn't say Taylor Kelly's worth my time, but maybe Nick Marshall is. And and, and obviously if you really feel like he'd be a better receiver or anything else, then, yeah, go do that. But um, I'll say Nick Marshall's worth my time, and that's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, same question for you, Pete. One, uh, so it's two-parter. One, do you think he gets drafted? Two, do you think he gets drafted as a quarterback or as a quote-unquote athlete? You have to draft him as a quarterback, and the reason I say that is because if he's something else that's a running back and you're not drafting him as a running back in this class, it's just absurdly stacked to the point where you're going to have a line of talented backs that are undrafted that would still be more preferable to 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 him as far as running backs go. I mean, it's just – it's a very unique situation in that regard. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm getting him, I'm picking him because I, I, I want, I want to see what he can do as a passer. 
uh, but I would bear, bearing that in mind, I, I probably have a backup plan. Uh, but but you know, if you take him on a team like the Eagles, or you take him like a team that that's interested in sort of uh, the 49ers, you know that type of situation where you, you want somebody who can do some of these mobile uh, mobile qualities that that needs to refine as a passer because he does have qualities that that would make an NFL passer. Now, does do I think he's going to ultimately be able to? sustain on an NFL roster for that long, I'm inclined to say no, and ultimately it might be better for him to get experience uh, either in Canada or in the Arena League, but as I said, I mean, if I'm moving him, it's running back, and it's just it's just such a unbelievable running back class that that's, that's a losing proposition for him. Okay. And the same question for you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Coburn. Uh, what is your assessment of his chances to be drafted and to what position? Um, I mean, he might get drafted if a team is interested in the like, qualities, I guess, because, uh, you know, he does have an arm, he can run. Uh, but for the most part, he's, uh, as a passer, he's kind of, you know. Um, I mean, and, and also in the system he played in Auburn, um, very simple. I didn't really excel at it because I know a lot of people talk about Cam Newton and this and that, but Cam Newton was able to do a lot more. They were able to open up the playbook a little bit more with Cam Newton when he was there um, oh. with Melzon. So I, I wonder about that stuff. And in general, in terms of him being a running back, I know everybody, because of the recency bias of, you know, Mr. Uh, 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 the Michigan. Oh, no, oh, no, the Michigan. Uh, yeah, that, well, McKinnon was a little oh. bit different because he was playing at a triple option. Bernard, right. where he, yeah, uh, he's about shoes. Yeah, shoelaces. He's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know he's had some success, but then he got injured. But uh, for the most part, the transition of quarterback to running back has not really been that successful over the years. And as Pete already said, uh, this running back class is really deep. So it'd be kind of foolish. You know, to take a guy like him, who I think there's running backs of class that are more physically gifted uh, than him, uh, even in later rounds, uh, and actually play the running back position uh, and actually could do that. So, uh, for the most part, I don't think he gets drafted. But, uh, man, this is a tough slate of quarterbacks, Bill. Like you, give, you give us Taylor Kelly, and then you give us, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Marshall. <laughs> like, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> but you get I can only give you the quarterbacks that are available. <laughs> don't I mean? Don't kill the messenger. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, so, uh, gosh, it gets a little better, kind of maybe, sort of, depending what you like. Where are we on Cody Fajardo, Mister uh, Mister uh, Coburn? <laughs> I think that just said it. I think, I think we have it all right there. Say no more, James. <laughs> I've lately seen him getting some draft Twitter love, and I, I'm not sure why exactly, but I am seeing it. <laughs> I mean, every this is one of those drafts where everyone really is going to get love. And, and, 
you're also going to see some bizarre things happen, I think, in terms of the draft for anyone that takes a quarterback. Like, because it's just going to be about what dude might be closest to fitting your system. It's not even about anything else, like who's taller, who has a better arm. And that's why it's so hard to really say, oh, yeah, this dude undrafted. Nope. Doesn't have to happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fajardo's arm could get stronger, um, a lot stronger. Uh Man, you know, I saw some of what he was able to do in Nevada, and, you know, I've only seen a couple of games of uh, tape. I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, when you look at the system they play in, I was expecting them to be a little bit more explosive, uh, maybe slightly better of an athlete, slightly stronger of an arm. Didn't see much of either. Uh, but I just uh, – is he draftable? Yeah, you can you can totally draft a hard on this class. And I'm not even saying, it, like, just because anyone can be drafted. I mean – He's better. He's still better than a few guys. Matter of fact, probably all of which we just mentioned. Maybe not Marshall, but I'd definitely take him before I take a shot at Kelly, uh, Bennett, um, and, and there are some others who people think will get Ah, uh, sure, yeah. Because at least, like I said before, it's it's that gene, dude. Like as I'm evaluating quarterbacks. The ability to make bad decisions, I mean, if you if you really do that over and over and over again, it, it makes it hard for coaches to really want to draft you and, and, and trust you with anything uh, important. So, uh, Good job. Yeah, that's also very important. <laughs> so, yeah, so you hit it right on the head. So, to me, when it comes down to it with Fajardo, um, and like I said, I've only seen a couple of games of tape on him, but what I've seen so far is, He's not a guy who makes that, oh, why'd you do a throw? And um, he takes what the defense is kind of giving you. I just, I'm just, i just not impressed with any big aspect of his game. He's just one of those guys who looks very good all – or just, just good, just okay all around. But once again, uh, early day three guy, you take Fajardo, you see what you can do with him in your system. And in this class, you know, why not? I mean, if someone drafted him in the oh, third, I okay. Like why not? Well, I mean, what I mean is, enough. if you if you want to have another guy, you, you seriously, there's only maybe three quarterbacks that you can make a just flat out case closed. It's over that you should take those guys before Fajardo. Like, I mean, seriously, like there's not, it's just not that deep. Dude. Like after three or four guys go, it's it's gonna bottom out, you know. Uh, Fajardo's a little shorter guy, um, but fifth sixth round. Okay, and and he is a draftable guy. I would draft him, and I think teams, he's going to get drafted. I can tell you that. I couldn't promise anyone else. Uh, Far will get drafted. Okay, same question for you, Pete. Uh, what do you think about Fajardo, and are you as confident as uh, Mister Montahardi is that he definitely gets drafted? Um, he's. When he when he when he's on with his mechanics and his footwork, he can deliver a nice football. The problem is that rarely happens, and his weight transfer and everything's all jacked up. So, for me, Cody Fajardo is an interesting player, but I'd make him a tight end. Uh, Wait, and in, this class, <laughs> in this class, tight end it looks really bad. So, in that respect, if Fajardo were to go through drills and look pretty solid as a tight end then sure, he could get drafted. He's got all the kinds of size. He's got a pretty big pretty, pretty big frame, and, and, and he might be able to be a space tight end and get drafted as a result. Uh, 
uh, I mean, as, as far as a quarterback, again, you you could give him a shot, um, but you know, I I don't think he's got the the arm the arm the consistency the mechanics much anything else. You're really going to go. I really want to spend my time, you know, really developing really developing this kid. And he, the other issue he's had is has been has been getting uh hurt uh as far and, and not debilitating enough where he can't play but debilitating enough where he, he he's he's uh affected as a quarterback which also hurts but like i said uh he's a guy you know where i think he he can be interesting as a potential uh position switch and 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 the one that jumps out to me uh, is is tight end well that's fascinating i I thought at least one or two of the quarterbacks people might be proposing to move to other positions. I didn't think Fajardo would be the one. Yeah, I was about to say, like, the guy, and, and <laughs> if you look at how he's listed, I don't think he's a true 6-2. I think he's more of a 6-1. No, he's going to measure out at 6-1 and 3 eighths or 6-1 and a quarter or 6-1 and a half if he's at best. Yeah, and he's about yeah. probably about 218 pounds. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got average arm strength. You've got a guy who can move in space. I mean, if you're going to move him away from quarterback, then you're looking at the Tebow-esque, H-back type. Yeah, let's go. Type dude, right? Because if you look at his running style, right? You look at his running style, I mean, yeah. It, let's get down to it. Where, where has he been most productive in his college career? He's been with his legs. Yeah. So, I mean, he's kind of like Jake Waters-esque, uh, you know, I just not, you know, not I not must say, I, I thought we'd have a robust debate about somebody being moved amongst the quarterback class. I thought it was going to be a Dick Marshall. I prepared incorrectly. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what he'd be if you're going to okay. move. Gotcha. Um, I'll just hit a couple more because I, I guess I'm wearing people out with this. But a guy that's intrigued me, and I'm sure I like him more than normal people do, but I keep going back and watching. I've watched about five games of Washington State University. And it's a gimmicky system. And, you know, there's always five targets and blah, 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 and it's dink and dunk. But darn it, I like Connor Holiday. I am not ashamed to admit it. And I don't think he'll ever be a starter. And I would draft him really, really late. And he's basically just a bigger, uh, more accurate version of Clint Trickett. I know his body looks wispy, 201 pounds at the most, and he's probably about an honest six three and three quarters. But I like him. I mean, not like, not love him, but I like him. Um, I'll stick with you, Montel, for a second. What have you seen of Connor Holiday, and, and what do you think his future might hold? Uh, well, Holiday plays in that, you know, the pass happy system over there, you know, yeah. and I just it's hard to it was hard for me to evaluate him because when I look at him, first off, he's got a very slight frame. Um oh yeah. He's skinny, yeah. shorter guy, uh, you know, just no, not, he's not shorter. Big. He's almost six foot four, he's six three and three quarters. Really? Yep. I I thought six, the reason three, three, on him was six two, but if he's six four no, makes him easier three, makes him easier to cut him in half, basically. <laughs> He is almost <laughs> six foot four. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Okay. He's he impressed like on some of the throws he's made this season. 
um, prior to the injury. Um, so, and people were talking about, people thought he'd be in the mix for the Heisman. So people forget about those first eight weeks, but, you know, he picked a total wrong, um, I think he picked a total wrong game to do it, but he did set, was it the passing yard records? He, broke? he holds the records. He holds a couple of records, actually. Yeah, well, he, he broke is a big one. And it was, I think it was the night that uh, Ole Miss beat Bama and something else happened. And it was just a total wrong week to do it because there are so many bigger stories than that. Um, but, yeah, what I think of him, I, I, I'm not drafting him. Um, but he did impress me with some of his accuracy. I felt like the arm strength wasn't there. Uh, maybe average arm on some good days. Uh, I just think of NFL weather. I don't see him throwing the ball well in NFL weather. But I did kind of like – I mean, I kind of – if I was to grade him, I'd give him kind of like a David fails like grade in terms of that he can he can show you some some short to intermediate accuracy and I don't know about deep accuracy maybe uh, you know here and there um, but I just uh, eh, I mean it's okay to like that dude I'm not gonna yell. He say he say weather when he plays on the Palouse, dude. That's you know a misty heavy wet. I mean, have you been up there, the Pullman, Washington? It's cold no, and windy and wet. Really? It's, have you not, do you not know where the school is? I mean, Washington, uh, the state, I don't know what the weather's like in Washington, but if you're out west, are you really talking about third-degree weather? Um, are we talking yes, about snow? Are we talking about cold? Yes, in the Palouse. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, he's not, you know, I'm not, he's not, not, he's not, not in the southern part of the state. He's not in the coastal part of the state. He's in the Palouse by the Palouse River. It's foggy, windy, and cold. Okay. So, I mean, if you can knock him on lots of things. He's, he's been in some bad weather football games. He's been in snow, windy conditions before. And I've got tapes of him playing in 30... Three, thirty-two, thirty-four, thirty-five degree football games with eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve mile an hour winds and snow. So he's played in plenty of bad weather games. Now you can knock him on never, almost never having been under center in his entire life except for like victory formation. Um, and you can definitely knock him on the frame. I mean, he needs twelve pounds of muscle desperately. He's built like a 17-year-old. I definitely agree with that stuff. Uh, same question for you, Mr. Coburn. What did you notice about Connor Holiday? He can take a beating. He can. Can he? He's got the heart of a lot yet. Done it. He's like Clint Trickett. The, the number one thing you can say about Clint Trickett is he can take a beating. He can get yep. hit and keep getting back up. I more. He can play... With a broken well, leg. Though, I know not anymore, but he could possibly, if he wanted to, uh, do that. Uh, I don't like uh, – well, I'm going to lump them together, um, kind of, sort of. Uh, I mean, I do think that there is something interesting about Connor Halliday. He's tough. He's gritty, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the system he plays in, NFL teams do not like Mike Leach quarterback um, nope. at all. Um, nope. they're just, it's kind of a hex. They've, they've done this experiment before. It didn't go so well. 
Um, so with the exception think, of Graham Harrell, another made the same. Yeah, really but did that really work, Bill? Did it really? Work? He managed to get, I think, three and a half years worth of game checks. To me, yeah, that's a win. But must, they didn't have to play him, but then they started to play him, you know. And and and, and, and they decided the Matt Flynn was a better option. Exactly. <laughs> so that was the thing. Did it really work out? I understand he stayed for a while, but um, I, it's not even that. I mean, I do think there's stuff that he does well, but the bottom line is, is like you said, the frame, um, very wispy. Uh, the fact that he's kind of a was it a vegan or. Is he like a vegetarian, or I forgot he, exactly. He 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 is a very clean eater, and I don't. He may currently be a vegetarian, but he's very careful about what he eats. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which could have something to do with the fact that he's not that big. I mean, you can get big, you know, you know, on other stuff, but he's apparently not doing it. So, um, you know, meat gets you gets you more muscle stuff, but uh, faster at least, uh, more efficient. But I just. I don't know. I don't know. I think bottom line is he's going to be undrafted free agent, uh, compounded with the fact that he got injured this year, and uh, and yeah, there. I, I know you like him, Bill, but um, I just I don't. You know, so. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I, I, just, I just I love so. Because you know, that I, I understand. I, I'm just he's just never been a guy who really was incredibly impressive. I mean, the only thing impressive about him is the fact that he's playing in a system and he was able to cut down his interceptions this year because uh, last year it was bad. It was terrible. It was very inconsistent. Kind of walked into sacks as well in terms of awareness, which I really bugged me. Right. But uh, this year I did better. play a lot better. But still, when you add up everything, <laughs> you got a guy that uh, is, is you know, most likely going to be an undrafted free agent. And and that's about it in terms of that stuff, unless he gets bigger, stronger, and stuff like that, because he's going to get cut in half, man. I mean, Clint Jurgett retired, you know, because yep. he had a ton of concussions. And it makes sense now. It makes sense. Cause, it does. You know, he took so many hits. So now he it makes a lot sense. of hits. With, with a very tiny body. And yes. um, Clint Trickett probably has a bunch of concussions, too, that he doesn't know about, to be honest with you, because he's such a tiny body that is brain just kind of rattles in every direction when he gets hit. So uh, I just – I mean, you worry about stuff. You worry about him getting hit and then dying on the football field. Because <laughs> um, he gets hit so hard somewhere that an organ just bursts. And then they have to take him to the hospital because he's so thin. But, you know, I'm just – and that that's, that's the only problem. He has to get over that hurdle first. Coaches <laughs> have that – hurdle. He's have to get over that hurdle first, and then they have to worry about the Mike Leach stuff, which is, you know, and Mike Leach's definitely system is a system and everything else like that, but NFL teams, you know, obviously got really sour on it. Okay. Um, uh, okay, I'll throw two more out there. A guy who's basically a shorter version and I guess slightly thicker built version of Connor Holiday, whose record was broken this year by Connor Holiday, Taylor Heineke from Old Dominion University in my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, maybe he was there who could to guide the team, or with the, everyone else, from FCS to the FCS level. And I suppose some of the same concerns that people raise about a guy like, you know, we've talked about, uh, 
system, footwork, you know, what it is you do and how what you're asked to do. I'll stick with you. So obviously Mr. Heineke, very prolific in terms of the number of throws. You like market share. You've got that. Um, what are some of the other things that you do like, things you don't like about Tyler Heineke? Um, I mean, he's he's a tough guy. Another sort yep. of small guy, very tiny, um, pocket-sized <laughs> quarterback. Uh, but he is tough. Uh, he's interesting as a runner, sort of. Not exactly like dynamic, but he can kind of do it a little bit in terms of running the football. Right. The issues for me, though, is just with his throws and his accuracy. It's all over the place in most games I've seen. Um, he'll, I mean, he, sometimes he'll make a throw uh, to a spot that's, like, really good. Other times it's just, eh. Um, the timing's usually off in a lot of games I've seen. And um, he's, I mean, he's he's interesting, but it's just that he's not really that, doesn't have a ton of arm talent, you know, just in terms of yeah. accuracy um, and the arm strength to go with it. So I would say I'm drafted free agent, but he is someone that I think could get drafted if he goes to, like, these, you know, practices um, and impresses people with his, uh, you know, I don't know, his verbiage talking to people, um, language you know, stuff like his that. His linguistic skills. His yes, his linguistic his skills. Language. <laughs> right, right. If he could do that, uh, I think he could get drafted. But other than that, I, I and I know some people really like him. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people who are like, I love him. Me, I'm just kind of, eh, he's okay. Uh, I think, again, if you, a West Coast, the end. It's just kind of a yep. theme, I guess. But There's West a theme. System uh, type quarterback, developmental type. Uh, but I don't know if you really want to develop that, but, you know, he, but he is interesting and he's a tough guy and, you know, but he's going to have to get over a lot of hurdles. First of all, playing at Old Dominion, you know, because, you know, there's going to be a scout at old little curmudgeon scout to go, where was the last time Old Dominion produced an NFL quarterback? And they're going to be like, oh, you can't do that. I'm the oldest man in this scout room. You know, that sort of thing. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they only brought back the sport well, still less than 10 years ago. They brought back football, I think, in 2007, something like that, 2006, 2007. So they've only had the program again. They shut it down in the 40s or 30s or whatever. So, Wait, you know, what you're saying is he could be the one. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, he could we'll be see. the one. I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm not predicting he's going to be a star. Here's what I think the best case scenario for him is sort of a Colt Danielist. Colt Daniels-esque kind of career where he goes to an Andy Reid kind of office and backs up, you know, a slightly more talented quarterback. Um, Pete Smith, where are you on Mr. Heineke? I have never seen him play, uh, but more power to Old Dominion is they quest for uh, Division One status. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish they'd stayed, actually, in the FTS for a couple of years. I think they could have won a national championship. It's amazing how fast they got good at the FCS level. And then, you know, just as they were really becoming in power to some extent at, the, at that level in the CAA, they made the jump. But I just wish they'd waited a couple more years. 
especially with Heineke there. I mean, that was their opportunity to win a national championship, but I understand the lure of, I guess, cash. Um, okay, same question to you. Uh, so, Mr. Montel, how do you have a chance to check out Mr. Tyler Heineke? I have not. Um, I wish I had him now just to see where he's fit in this class, but no, nah, I'm afraid I have not seen any of his tapes. Okay, no problem. We'll keep it moving. Uh, don't worry. Your your torture is almost over, gentlemen. I'm going to touch on a couple more. Um, Anthony Boone came to most people's attention when he was, at least for a while, outdueling one Mr. Johnny Football in, of course, the, the Cotton Bowl of last, not, well, not last, year before last, I guess now. And obviously a guy with some inconsistencies, but a guy who's made some flashes. I'll stick with you, Montel. Where are you on Mr. Anthony Boone? Uh, well, gee, Anthony Boone, we landed here. Uh, well, okay, first off, I was very impressed with the game he played against Menzel, and uh, I think it was the Chick-fil-A Bowl last year. What's the Chick-fil-A uh, Bowl? I can't remember which bowl it was. I thought it was, I can't remember it was a cotton bowl. It's one of those darn bowl games, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, one of those bowl games, man, but he played a very good game, and one thing I did like about what he was able to do is he seemed to impress, uh, because uh, I only saw maybe one other game with tape on him, but it seems to be the same. Uh, a, uh, he's going to be a guy who appears to me to be throwing more to a spot, but I think he's in the system to where, at the very least, it demands maybe uh, a better amount of accuracy than some quarterbacks necessarily have. So uh, I've seen him flash some very good accuracy, intermediate, and then even, you know, a little deep ball um, against uh, A&M that game. So, I see that. To me, he's a very short quarterback. I think he's like maybe. He's six almost feet. six one. He's almost yeah, six one. Okay, so he is. So he is over six. Yeah. Okay, so he is over six. Uh, wasn't too wild with his arm. I think he's got like a pretty average arm. Uh, but uh, for a guy with not that great of an arm and stuff like that, um, you know, he's a pocket quarterback, not very mobile, or at least not in the games I've seen him. Uh, so I've seen a limited amount of tape, but you know nothing, nothing great about the guy. But I think with the system he plays in, maybe from a mental side, he grasps NFL football maybe a little better than some of these guys. I, I don't know, but um, Anthony Boone isn't a draftable guy to me. But maybe he gets an invite to camp. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I actually have to run, so I'm I'm gonna okay. go. Uh, Tell people I'll, where they can find and follow your work, sir. For sure. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at mh underscore on underscore sports. I write for ngscsports.com. dot uh, com, and uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm still kind of ironing something else. But maybe uh, starting next week, I'll have like a decent little announcement for you guys. But um, in the meantime, I'll probably call tomorrow at like what nine? Uh, well, a little before that, I think we're. Launching at about three thirty, well, about two thirty, your time since you're Central Time, but you know whenever you're available, we're always glad to have you. I'm sure, dude. Uh, thanks so much, and take it easy, guys. Okay, take care, Montel. Gosh, he's gonna miss the Raheem Cato talk. Well, I guess we'll have to somehow fight through that. Um, so same. Same question for you, Mr. Pete Smith. Uh, what do you think of one Anthony Boone? Well, it might surprise you, but whereas Texas Tech quarterbacks and some of these other systems get looked down upon, 
I'm of the belief that while I'm not looking to draft Anthony Boone, I would happily invite uh, Boone to to uh, camp. Uh, in, but the same way people downgrade those other offenses, I'm I'm perfectly happy to give a Cliff quarterback a shot uh, because you know hey, you look can. what Sad Lewis has done. I mean, Sad Lewis he, Boone's a better quarterback than Sad Lewis, and Sad Lewis has actually played in the NFL. So I'm perfectly happy to give Boone a shot at camp, potentially as a third string quarterback. Uh, because, like I said, you know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who understands how to play the game, how to play the position. Um, the limit of his tools, we'll see. Um, you know, his ceiling may not be all that particularly high, but he's he's a smart quarterback that that does things the right way, and, that, and there's always something to be said for that. And 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 for the sake of Duke, he's the best of what they've had. Uh, so far under under David Cutcliffe, I mean, you know, if Braxton Miller was indeed going to transfer, and I don't know if he is or isn't, but uh, I would I would you know if 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 his goal is to get himself more developed for an NFL style offense as a quarterback, I would say go to Duke, uh, spend a year under Coach Cutcliffe because he's you know it's tough to get much better than that as far as really understanding how to, how to play the position. So I'm I'm. Very interested to see how how Boone does at the Shrine Game practices. Uh, he's he's more interesting than a lot of the other guys you've mentioned. He certainly had some big games. He certainly led Duke to a uh, a good amount of success that that you know they've they've been able to enjoy even if a couple of ten win seasons, which you don't get those at Duke all the time. I mean, in fact, it's the only time in the history of Duke football they have back to back ten win seasons ever. Right, I mean, and and you know, and he did. He he hasn't really looked awful uh, in any games, which is, again, I don't think he's got a ton of upside. But he's never, he never looks outclassed. I mean, he you know, look he, when they played Florida State last year, it was clear who the better team was. But it's not like he went down, you know, a flaming wreck. He held his own. He did what he does, and and they ultimately lost. But. He's he's like I said he's he's a smart kid mentally tough I'm curious to see what he does you know next week at the practices but you know he's a guy I would be interested in as a, as a trial guy okay and the same question for you Mr. Cover uh, I mean I like Boone uh, as a backup uh, potential guy um, I mean the system he played in obviously is kind of a plus because uh, it, they do a lot of similar concepts, uh, and it's not going to be as much of a – I mean, he's definitely going to have a hurdle to go over, but, you know, he's not going to have to go – you know, when I was in college, we Tim Kardashian was that play. You know, it's not going to be like that for Boone. You know? <laughs> um, so I think that that's a plus. Uh, the only thing that really doesn't say starter to me is just because he, has, he hasn't really been spectacular consistently – uh, he's had some inconsistencies throughout his career this year in particular. Um, it's kind of a down year uh, in terms of some of uh, the throws he was able to make and, um, and just his general consistency. But um, in terms of quarterbacks in this class, that I'm like, okay, all right, draft him, you know, somewhere in kind of day three. Uh, he definitely would be on that list. But, um, but I don't really see anybody who's going to be – I don't really see him as like a starter-starter type. It's more of a guy who could 
conceivably become an NFL backup, you know, if he really wanted him to. Okay. And one of the guys we had on earlier, I don't know if it was David West or Cody, expressed some love for Derek Grayson. So we'll we'll wrap these, these last two guys, and I'll stop torching you guys about quarterbacks. Um, and if Derek Grayson's getting quite a bit of, of Twitter love recently, uh, where are you on Derek Grayson? I know you've seen a fair amount of him, and I've seen a decent amount of him. Uh, what do you think of him, Chip? Um, Grayson is all right. Uh, he peaked at 23, but, hey, what can you do? Um, you know, last year I wasn't the biggest fan. He just was not that great last year. This year, I don't know what it was, but I don't know if it was the last year. I don't know if something happened when he turned 23, but he definitely has become a much more consistent quarterback this year. Um, my only big issues with him is just there is some physical limitations uh, to him, just in terms of his arm strength and the types of throws he makes in that system. Um, he definitely I, – I think that the system will translate well, but, you know, a lot of people bring up – Petty and Grayson, and like I put Grayson over Petty, like, and I know there's there's the age argument. They're, they're the same age. Uh, I don't know if, if Grayson has osteoporosis. I'll have to see. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but in terms of the throws that Petty's been able to make, he's been able to make the throws that Grayson can't make, um, which yep. is one of the big differences. And then just in terms of passing efficiency in his career, Petty's had much better. You know, he was he was very good during his junior year. Uh, Grayson was not that great. I mean, coming into this year, based on the tape I saw of 2013, Grayson was um, kind of – I know some people really liked him, but, I mean, from everything I saw, and, again, you know, I'm a Mount West guy, uh, he was always just kind of just a guy in that system, um, kind of a handoff guy. This year they kind of opened up the offense a little bit more, um, and he definitely made a, little, a few better throws. But it's just not there consistently. And, again, the, he hasn't made all the throws. And of course, you're going to throw the age argument because again, if you're going to use the age argument against Petty, then you got to use them against Grayson too. So either yep. you knock them out, either you knock them both out, or you go, okay, why am I taking Grayson over Petty when you know? I mean, sure, Grayson definitely uh, is. You know, he has the build. He's about six two two twenty. He's definitely a West Coast quarterback, but Petty's the guy who is more the physical tools to do more right. stuff. So, you know, and I, I guess you could say Grayson has done a little bit more um, NFL concepts, you because know, he's not playing in a crazy, ridiculous <laughs> kind of, you know, no, college. No, he's not Art Ryle, spread, spread as far, the spreadiest of all the spreads, and let's see if we can throw the ball, you know, 50, 60 yards down the field. Let's, see, let's, let's just basically attack their safeties all day long. Take it, safeties. Take it. Exactly. But uh, bottom line is, I just am not, you know, he's not it. I mean, again, he's gotten better. Like I said, he, he peaked. He peaked in his last year. That's what you can really say about him. Uh, but uh, I'm just not um, that enamored with him. There hasn't been any games I've really seen at Grayson where I was blown away, as some others have. I don't know. Maybe, that quarter, maybe that's the problem with this quarterback class is that everybody's blown away by everybody. But they don't realize that they're not really that great. But, um, but I don't know. But uh, but I mean, he's definitely worth the draftable guy. I mean, if you, again, if you're a West Coast team, um, I I don't see why you wouldn't do it. I mean, if you're going to draft Petty, why not draft Grayson at some point? But uh, I just 
have not been the biggest, at least following his career, you know, in the Mount West Conference, I've never really been the biggest Grayson fan. Right. I, I definitely get that sense. Same question to you, Pete. Um, what things do you see in terms of, of Grayson? And are you a guy that believes he might be one of the great, quote-unquote, you know, value sweepers, et cetera, in this draft? Or what's your assessment of him? Well, he's too old. But, I mean, look, to me, Garrett Grayson, in a lot of ways, is what A.J. McCarron and some Greg McElroy and some of these other quarterbacks would have looked like if they were in the Mountain West Conference. Jim McElwain right. took what they did and moved it to Colorado State against uh, smaller, smaller, smaller conference opponents. Bill Grayson probably would have been an okay, you know, average Alabama quarterback. Those don't yep. go very far. Uh, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's a nice little college quarterback. But look at that left tackle he's got. Man, that guy's good. I really like him on my team. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, no, I mean, but if, if you're if you come back to it, you're looking at you're going, you know, Jim McElwain. What does this guy do? Oh, well, he sort of invented what is you know the Alabama quarterback. Oh, this guy has a lot of the same sort of qualities that you'd see in a Alabama quarterback. You know, Andy's older. You know, do I want to draft that? Maybe, but I mean, you're. You, I mean, I don't know what you can reasonably expect him to do in terms of upside. I mean, I think you take him as a glue guy sort of backup, uh, and that's. But but I mean, to me, I don't really see what too much value in drafting that myself. I, I, you know, he may well get drafted, but it's the same sort of deal. I mean. It, if he can develop into something, how old is he going to be when he finally figures it out? If he doesn't, he's going to be, you know, an older guy that didn't. Uh, I, there's, you know, somebody will probably pick him, and that's fine. But, you know, I expect uh, his his brightest days will probably be in, you know, some preseason games, which is fine, and you know, get hopefully gets to attention. <laughs> Man, time, Bryce Ambrao, he's good. <laughs> I can see you're going to enjoy the I offensive agree. line we show. I agree. We agree. Yes, we all agree. We, we all agree on that. I think you're going to enjoy the offensive line show more than this one. I, I apologize. Okay, final quarterback, and then I'll leave you guys alone. Um, and once again, you know, this is obviously one of my guys, but we'll see, you know, we'll see. Uh, Rakeem Cato, Pete. Obviously, he's small. Yeah, that's obviously what things are going to say. He's small. And he's definitely in an offense where they, they sling it around. But uh, what is your assessment of a guy like Rakeem Cato? And is he a guy that ends up being, quote-unquote, switched to the, quote-unquote, athlete role, or, or can he stay a quarterback? Much like Brandon Bridge, you can say this about Rakeem Cato. He's fun. He's worth the price of admission. You're not going to be bored. Does that equate into an NFL skill set? No. However, I would say that maybe out of the guys that we've mentioned, Rakeem Cato might have the most chance of being successful in the CFL or arena. You know, he's got, you know, sort of the big game experience, you know, and all the things they've done at Marshall. He's a, you know, he's a respected leader at Marshall and all these other things you can say about him. And then from that standpoint, he might be a, a perfect guy to, to have a great career in another league. Uh I just, I mean, I have a hard time seeing an NFL skill set, really, at anything. I mean, again, we talk about athlete. 
what is that ultimately going to do? Is he going to go compete in a ridiculously stacked running up that class? Or well, no, no, no. He's, he's not a running back, deep, obviously. No. Uh, ridiculously deep receiver class. I mean, they're both losing sort of propositions for, for what you're getting. So, I mean, ultimately, he's probably at his best chances is, you know, competing at quarterback, hoping for the best, and probably trying to get a job in a different league. Okay, got it. Same question for you, Mr. Coburn. Uh, what do you assess of the chances of, uh, one, Mr. Rakeem Kato? Do you think he can stay in the lower 48? Does he, or does he have to go indoors? Does he have to go up north? Or change position? Uh, I don't know. Um, like I said, because of his size, uh, you know, he's small. Uh, he just doesn't look like an NFL quarterback. That's the best way to put it. Because uh, that was the main thing that I took away from watching him was, he was by far the funnest prospect. I mean, honestly, out of all the quarterback prospects I've seen this year, he was by far the best to watch. Um, just all the stuff he's able to do. Um, but ultimately, I just watched him and was like, they're, they're not going to ever give him a chance to really do anything. Like, it's just not going to happen. Uh, they're going to take one look at him and go, yeah, you're not cut out for this <laughs> type of thing. Um, but like the and you know and deservedly so. I mean, he doesn't always make the most consistent throws. Um, he has some arm strength, just enough. You know, <laughs> the best way to put it, just enough to get some throws off, uh, but definitely isn't uh, slinging it in there um, and, and all that other kind of stuff. But he, but what he does do really well is he runs up. He, he's run that Marshall off extremely well. Um, he's been a guy who's come back from games to win it. Uh, he's been a leader. Uh, he's shown a lot of those types of qualities. I kind of call him the Teddy Bridgewater Conference USA kind of sort of, you know, um, in the way just his demeanor and the way he kind of runs that offense. But uh, in terms of the NFL, uh, even if I said that there was some shot he could possibly be a backup kind of reserve type guy, I don't think teams would ever give him a chance, you know, cause of, uh, uh, because of his size and because of all the other kind of stuff. But uh, but he definitely – I mean, but again, uh, he was a guy in this class where everybody's complaining about these quarterbacks that can't read defenses, they can't look off coverage, they can't do this, they can't do that. And I'm watching Cato, and I'm like, he's doing all this stuff. Now, he's doing it in Conference USA, right, which is not, of course, the NFL. And uh, there's definitely um, some – again, there's definitely some physical limitations to what he can do, but he's – but out of all the quarterbacks of this class, just in terms of the guys who had the most fun watching, he, that was him. Um, but unfortunately, like I say, you know, he's not ever really going to get the chance. Even if he, you know, got in the door, they'll just never. He's kind of like um, uh, Brett Smith, kind of. Certainly said, you know, he's a guy where uh, because of the way he looks. Because, uh, you know, he's a little thin and stuff like that, and he played in a lower-level competition, he'll probably get a tryout somewhere, and then that's it, you know. And then never – the NFL just kind of goes, Pleh. yeah, yeah, you're not cut out to do this just because of the way he looks, that sort of stuff. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, Rakeem Kato's future – his best option may be coaching at, at Marshall. He's – I mean, he could be extremely successful. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I hope he gets a chance to play somewhere, uh, if not in the NFL, then in some other place. 
I, I think he is a guy that could be a pleasant surprise if somebody were to give him a chance. But uh, I understand the concerns, and I understand the, the reasons why, you know, the physical and other reasons that people would look at him and not think he's, you know, an NFL guy. Uh, he, he's probably going to measure out at 5'11". And yeah, yeah, really small. I mean, again, yeah. I got angry. I was watching the tape and got angry. Not not at, not at him, but just because I'm like, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff that a lot of quarterbacks in this class aren't doing. Don't do. Yep. But it doesn't matter because he's 5'11 and, you know, <laughs> 190 yeah, pounds. 100. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If Rakeem Cato makes an NFL roster, are you buying a Rakeem Cato jersey? <laughs> <laughs> I I, don't know. I I'll might. Think about it. I might. I might do it. <laughs> is a chance. I I like I said. I, there's things I definitely like about him, and I know he's good. Get... He's good. At, I mean, he's perfect for you know. He's a great fit. I mean, you know, not. Often enough, you get great marriages in college football, but th- that was a great marriage for Cato and that Marshall offense, and they were extremely successful. Yep. Yeah. I mean, right. He he came into a situation where he and uh, you know Aaron Dobson and he and um, uh, Schuler and uh, Gator Hoskins. Thank you, that's the other one, Gator Hoskins. I mean, those guys. He and those guys. You could tell they worked after practice. I mean, you couldn't have done all that they did under the 20-hour <laughs> practice rules. Those guys really had a great understanding of what they were trying to accomplish and how to get it done. And Like I said, I know he's small. I know all this stuff. I just hope someone at least gives them a shot. But I think they might be pleasantly surprised, like I said, with what they actually have on their hands if, he, if somebody at least gives them a chance. And if not, you know, I guess not. But it's, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen. But I think he deserves a, a chance to show what he can do at the NFL level. And like I said, it's not a no one's guaranteed anything. You know, not the big guys from the big schools and not the small guys from Marshall, obviously. But I'd like to see that guy be brought in, even if it's a competition to you know bolster the third quarterback on somebody's team. I think a guy like Sean Payton would give a guy like him a chance. A former undersized quarterback himself. And they've got what? One of the McCown brothers? Yeah, that's what they have right now is Luke. Luke, I think. Right, Luke. I think it's their current for two. And I can't remember who their number three is. Oh, Ryan Griffin from Tulane, right? Of course, the local kid. So that's what they've got currently on their quarterback depth chart. And, you know, it'd be tough. It'd be tough no matter where it goes, obviously, when you're. Rakeem Kato, but I'd like to see him at least get a shot. That's all I guess I'm saying. Um, there are quarterbacks that I, I won't say I missed. There are quarterbacks that, I mean, obviously, three quarters of the quarterbacks we discussed got undrafted free agent grades anyway, so I guess it would be somewhat pointless to go any deeper. Uh, there's some small school guys that I like who I think at least make a camp and stuff like that, but. I think I went through most of the quarterbacks that made sense to me to discuss. And, yeah, it's not the most mind-meltingly great quarterback classes. Everyone in the world has said add-on infinitum. One guy, I'll mention one guy that I like, and I don't know if anyone else has checked him out yet, but he's also smallish and with a sort of average arm. But 
and a good athlete. But a kid from Lamar named Caleb Barry is a guy I could see fighting his way into somebody's camp as well. And if you do run sort of a moving pocket, West Coasty, Shanahan-y kind of offense, I could see Caleb Barry sticking somewhere for somebody as a backup as well. But it's, you know, I understand. It, this is a class that will not be discussed in glowing terms for years to come. You know, I get that. I do. I get it. So before we close out, I'll touch on just a couple more things. Um, so, Jim, you're going to – where are you going in terms of All-Star? Or are you going to some All-Star games this year? Um, I don't know. I'm not going to – uh, the senior bowl or anything like that because I was trying to debate what I wanted to do because uh, I usually get about a week off. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking about spring break or the draft or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'll I'll think about it. I got options. But, oh. yeah, no all-star game. So. However, uh, what's the one all-star game in L.A.? Um, I think OPA it's, game. Yeah. Is that already happened? I'm not 100% sure. It hasn't happened yet, though. No. Um, okay. It's happening. Uh, Feels about, yeah. Yeah. Hasn't happened yet, though. Because uh, Cody's going to it, who was almost mm. earlier, Cody, Cody Toomey. Oh. Well, I, I don't know. I might be able to do that, possibly. I'll see. Okay. Well, it's uh, so. So much friends know. It, you know, it's about a three-hour drive, so it's not that far. Well, if so, let me know. Um, once again, I'll hook you up with my guy who's, you know, my guy Rennie who's down there. He's the man, so he'll help you with anything you need help with. He's a high school coach himself, and he uh, also works for the facility. So he's he's uh, always at the formerly Dub Hub Center. Now it's called the something else center. <laughs> but uh, same, it's the same place. He just changed or it's the other way around. Maybe it was something else and now it's a step-up center, whichever. Uh, but it's it's in lovely Carson, and uh, they treat us well. I highly recommend attending if you can. And our Juan McDavid, a.k.a. Rennie, if you're out there, you're you're awesome. Man, I, I love you and can't wait to talk to you again. And if I, I won't be there this year, but if I, hopefully I'll be there next year and we'll hang out. Um, Pete, are, are you making it to any games? And if so, which ones? I'll be at the uh, – I leave Sunday to go down to the Shrine game. I'll be there all week through the game, and then I'll go from there uh, to the Senior Bowl, and I'll be there through the practice and then leave on Friday morning. Oh, okay. Great. Uh, good. Excellent. Well, as you mentioned, the Senior Bowl is obviously sort of the jewel in the crown, and, you know, it's everybody's – everybody is – everybody's there, right? <laughs> everybody is – Almost like, um, you know, walking around at an awards show in Hollywood or something with all the, the names. And then the Shrine game is, is, I wouldn't say a step down, but it's a different kind of environment. You'll still see some front office people. You'll still see some coaches. But it's not quite the who's who uh, that the senior bowl is. But both are great experiences, and if you're a, a scout or a writer or you fancy yourself a real devotee of the game, you know, it's like making a pilgrimage to Mecca. You have to do it at least once before you die. Make it to a Shrine game. Make it to a Senior Bowl if you get the chance. Uh, Mr. Pete Smith, tell people what you've been working on and where they can find and follow your work, sir. 
Well, like I said, I'm preparing to go down for the uh, Shrine game in the Senior Bowl, so everything's geared towards that. And then more likely than not, at the end of the month, uh, something will be changing. I'll let you know when, when that's official. Okay. Okay. Same question to you, Mr. Jim Kilberg. Um, oh, uh, I recently finished a running back metrics article just about the current class from a production side. Um, and then I'm working on the Bernadette McKinney article, uh, which is going to be coming out soon. And then, of course, I'm going to be doing a few other sort of uh, things as well. Um, but lots of stuff, lots of stuff. I'm finishing up uh, putting in all the safeties uh, from this class into the uh, into the safety stuff, so I'll be able to get a good idea. Uh, I did the cornerbacks already, and uh, it's not looking too good, but um, <laughs> as expected. But uh, it, it's just kind of it's gonna be interesting when I get done uh, doing all that stuff because uh, that's what I've been kind of working on. I I did all the legwork, if you will, of getting all thousands and thousands of birthdays and other stuff. Now it's just a matter of putting in the current draft class and seeing what pops up, you know, if there's any red flags or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I'll be working on a bunch of stuff on com, and you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, capital J, little M, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N1. Excellent. Well, I want to thank, obviously, you two gentlemen and uh, the guys who had to run Montel Hardy. Uh, host of the Cold Front, writer for National, I mean, for uh, NGFC Sports and National Gridiron Sports. Um, also, Cody, uh, who, Cody Tooney, who is a really solid guy and a guy who's mostly been Bengal-focused, but will be widening out his focus. And then uh, David West, a guy that does a lot of work with small school and some other kids as well. And both guys are definitely worthy follows. I think David's DRS West, if I'm correct, and Cody is Cody Key, which is C-O-D-I-K-I. Both guys are great follows and good guys. Uh, once again, it's been an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. I myself am working on finishing finally and posting some articles. To, um, my goal is tomorrow night to have a couple articles up on um, uh, FanSpeak and then at least one piece up on uh, Fancy Sports Warehouse. So I should have two, if not three, pieces up this weekend. And once again, gentlemen, it is a, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. I, we will do this again in one week.